Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, the internet-based audio podcast discussing three feature-length motion pictures that share an obscure connection. My name's Doug, and my favorite Quentin Tarantino film is Inglorious Bastards. My name is Darren, and my favorite Quentin Tarantino film is Jackie Brown, also Love Hateful Eight as well. Oh, I love Steve? lots of him, but no. we don't do that that way. No. Anyway, I'm doing no. it my way. No. And my name is Steve, and I've been told I'm only allowed to pick one of them because of the jazz episode. And he listened, unlike yes, some. Yes, I did listen. Woo. It was a close thing, but I am actually Big going surprise. with my favorite Quentin Tarantino film is Death Proof. And that's not Quentin Tarantino's favorite film. Because he thinks it's his weakest film, and I think that's bullshit. What does he think his favorite film is? I don't actually know. Oh, okay. Um, I'd have to look that up, but uh, someone on the internet does know and is shouting at me right now. <laughs> well, that's if someone on the internet is actually listening. Excellent. Hopefully. Hopefully you are. It's yeah. a close run thing, because for me, Kill Bill and Death Proof, the two films of his I watch the most, but I always have the most fun watching Death Proof. And some people say to me, it's just a two hours of people talking, but it's... It's an amazing two hours. And if you do it and attempt to keep up with the alcoholic beverage consumption that goes on <laughs> in that movie, it gets even better. Drink responsibly. Uh. I, I think Death Proof is way underrated. I've, yeah. I've mm. seen it three times and I've enjoyed it every single time. And um, the first time I saw it, I was actually in France and it was released as Boulevard de la Mort. And all the. Um, and there were nice. like. It was, this was a niece. Well, it was a niece, actually. And, <laughs> niece, um, sorry. <laughs> yes. And there were actually like uh, the little um, lobby cards or whatever they're called outside that had stills from the film. Like, you know, they had outside theaters in the 70s that said Boulevard de la Mort. And, and how many did you steal on the way out of the theater? Um, they were behind a glass wall <laughs> and I so felt too, like right? not getting to <laughs> Um, this but, is our 10-second yeah. introduction. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, because we're noted for our concision here. At specific. I think we're still recording um, our previous episode as we speak. So. And so, <laughs> so why are we talking about Quentin Tarantino? Are we going to talk about the three best Quentin Tarantino films? That no, we're not. That is by Sally Monkey today? No, okay, so why, why are we? Uh, it is, it's an interesting one because Quentin Tarantino does the QT Film Festival, uh, or probably did you know, pre-COVID. Yeah. And w- today we're going to be doing, <clears throat> and I quote, three films that played the Quentin Tarantino QT Film Festival, have a sibling relationship in their title, and were made in consecutive years in the 1970s. And we'll let everybody sit with that for a little while and try to figure out what films they could, that could be, or go over to the Wikipedia page and find out more about the QT Film Fest. That, um, yeah, so there were six installments of it in Austin over about a decade, and then they also did a best of as well. Um, so, And they haven't done it since like 2008 or something like that. I think once he had that kind of uh, long sort of hiatus, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Um, there, there was a lot of being in the desert and making uh, <laughs> programming film festivals. And then after, you know, Kill Bill, he's kind of like started to slowly get the gears rolling again. Um, but if you go to that page, actually, you know, I mean, there are about 15 to 40, depending on the um, year films that played. And um, you could get quite a... Uh, good year-long education by working your way systematically <laughs> through that. There's certainly and plenty of films I haven't seen on there. And, and we've chosen three. We've yeah. chosen three. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'd love to have you know, gone to a film festival with Quentin Tarantino, although from all accounts, you wouldn't want to be in the same room with Quentin Tarantino unless you're the kind of person that can handle someone basically giving you a running commentary on the film, which is normally what we do here anyway. So <laughs> if you're the kind of person that doesn't like someone Speak talking during a movie... <laughs> Chris, Chris Jericho, the professional wrestler, had a story where he met Quentin Tarantino, and they said, oh, we're watching Spaghetti Westerns at the moment, come on in. 
And he went great, and he sat down, and within three minutes, he basically had to get up and leave because Quentin Tarantino narrated everything that happened on screen with oh. trivia notes, and he, he just basically wanted to watch the movie, so he just had to make an excuse It'd and go... It would be great if you had, weren't on, on watching out. the film for the first time. <laughs> yeah. just, does he identify every actor in other roles that they've I'm been in by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm being singled out here. Yeah, yeah, there's a reason for that, you think that. Um, as, as an aside, also, there's a uh, special connection uh, to New Zealand because Quentin Ten, uh, QT's sixth ended with a special screening of Johnny Firecloud, which it notes in Wikipedia was out of Aunt Timpson's incredibly strange collection in New Zealand. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Aunt had provided another print along the way, but I thought it was uh, nice that that specific print was... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to hear a print actually I actually really like that movie, and I've never played it at one of our cinemas. I've had, a, I think, an old DVD copy... I don't even know anything time. about it. I just no? that's it's, the only uh, thing I David, know about David it. David Friedkin, no, not David Friedkin. Um, oh, he's got Espatiate. His, his, <laughs> his, it's basically a, a genre, a revenge flick is the best way to describe revenge. You say Quentin Tarantino likes a loving a revenge flick, but with a Native American hero, right? And it's a classic 1970s revenge flick that it takes nearly an hour of humiliation before the revenge kicks in, right? And when it does. That's when I'll stop talking about it because right. I still want to show this one. It may play at one of my twenty-four-hour movie binges at some stage in the in the upcoming future, upcoming decades. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one that I just every time I I do a film run, and two days later I think, why didn't I put Johnny Foxcloud on? It's a great film, and it's it's got a great commentary on the DVD uh, DVD with a producer basically says, "I'm the producer of this abomination." <laughs> <laughs> A big fan of his work. Well, you've got to own it. <laughs> exactly. So before we kick into the main course, let's do our uh, typical entree. And uh, So what have you been watching since last time? Oh, he's looking at me directly. Okay, well, oh. that's, that's Well, Darren, I'll look at you <laughs> no, because no, Steve's looking at his phone. No. So. <laughs> it's actually going to be pretty easy for me. I decided, you know, since our last episode ran for, for three and a half weeks, uh, I've barely watched anything in the last month because... I, as I mentioned, I bought a new computer and Don't I've been give playing. Us your excuses. I've been playing Grand Theft Auto there all right. the time, and I have, have watched a few things. But um, oddly enough, because we've got a certain movie coming up, Godzilla is about to start punching King Kong in the face. We introduced my son to the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong. All right, and we actually did it as a mini series. Was that the first yeah. Kong that he'd seen? The first Kong that he'd seen. If he had okay. seen, basically, he'd seen. Uh, oh no, actually, second because Skull oh. Island. He had okay, seen Skull yes. Island. Have uh, you seen um, the uh, the King Kong Godzilla? Um, probably when he was very, probably when he was very young. I, I don't have a know. feeling we showed it to him at some time. We've seen a lot of Godzilla movies, so we yeah. may have seen that one. I'm not sure. Or if King I've... Kong Escapes, or oh, it might have been King Kong Escapes. Although that's right. kind of a, a real offshoot that's because that's really bad. That's very Japanese. It's it's wonderfully bad. I mean, you've got Mecha Kong, so you, oh, yes, you can't I... go past Mecha Kong. <laughs> but yeah, with tinfoil the... Mecha Kong. <laughs> <laughs> but with this one, because it was school nights and it is a three hour long. Uh, movie and it was the theatrical cut as opposed to the extended we went with. We broke that up into two halves. And not enough when you break Peter Jackson's King Kong into two hour and a half long movies, King Kong appears at the end of part one because it oh, really. Wow. It's, I always thought it was about an hour before he really shows his appearance. But it's the it's about an hour one. and a quarter that he starts getting there, and you get the first good look at him at about an hour and twenty eight minutes. And we went, well, okay, that's perfect time to. Right. Off. Okay. I always thought it would be a break when they left, um, and when the, and the second half would be in America would be where no, I would put the much, act break. Much later. Oh, that's, okay. there, there's so much. There's probably th- two thirds of the movie are on 
the journey yeah. on Skull Island. Was it like 40 minutes awesome. before they start the journey or something? It's at least that. There's there's a lot of setup beforehand. And I mean, you know, Jack Black is Jack Blacking away like crazy. Yeah. So, it's been but, a good uh, while since I've yeah. seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I said afterwards, what do you think? And he said, oh, he liked it. It's good. I mean, if you tried to sit watching it in one fell swoop I, and some years ago, I would have heard, where's Kong? Where's Kong? Where's Kong? Yeah. But now he's, you know, 12, he's able to concentrate on things a bit more like that so you've got to black and white it you've got to do yeah. the original yeah at some stage i'm going to hit him with the black and white one and just show him show him the origins but to say that my son is a, a kaiju fan is an understatement to say that he is excited for godzilla versus kong is a massive understatement yeah. so <laughs> we heard some of that earlier and oh I, yeah i'd like to i'd like to think that my bringing back a stuffed godzilla at a young age is, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's great to see how these things play out. Oh yeah, we still got the video footage from when he was two and a half wrestling Godzilla on me. <laughs> so, so does do he identify that. with Kong then, or, or um, he... no? He's a Godzilla fan. Oh. Pierce, he's, as he said, he's been looking at what people have said on the internet, and he believes the same thing. One giant radioactive lizard. The other one, big monkey. Yeah. So, <laughs> don't don't call Kong really a monkey. Big monkey really big movie. monkey in this movie, and a monkey with an axe, which is possibly with an axe. There's, there's, there's I haven't watched the, the trailer. The trailer so. he is wielding. He's an as big axe. as Godzilla in this. One. As big as Godzilla, and he's got an axe. So I'm going. This so could be. A, uh, so he must be irradiated. Whoever something. wins, we win too. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if the dialogue is terrible. I don't care if the human characters are so disposable they could be made of Kleenex. I'm up for this, and if it's it's a direct sequel to King of Monsters. It, it does is. have a lot yeah. of the same cast. Okay. It does. So we've got some. Yeah. Well, they've been doing this whole yeah. building the human team of. Yeah. Yeah. What is it called? The Monarch. Monarch. The Monarch. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So isn't that also the name of the team in the Venture Brothers? Mm, oh no, that's yeah. the name of one of the villains. The, oh, okay, that's what it is. <laughs> it's maybe, maybe a stealth crossover. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> Good thing about this one, it looks like in New Zealand it will get a theatrical release. So uh, you're looking yeah. at you, Disney. That you yeah. didn't with so no, Warner's is is committed to doing the simultaneous uh, theatrical VOD releases they did Excellent. with uh, WW84 and yeah. uh, the Little Things, and um, hopefully Godzilla vs Kong breaks the streak and is actually a decent film. Well, hopefully, I too. mean, I, I don't care if it's the worst film in the world; we're going to enjoy it. If it's on the IMAX, even better, and mm. I'm, I'm sure this is this is the perfect IMAX yeah. film for 2021. <laughs> Apparently, everything in our uh, movie, a major movie complex in town is pretty much gone now. My mother was there the other day and said, "Yeah, the, the food, food court's hall is dead. Gone. The food yeah. court gone. Yeah, Everything mm-hmm. in the basement, apart from the sensory maze, there was a mini golf course gone. Yeah. Shops closed. It's all COVID it's, related, I yeah. imagine. And yeah. this, and we've got off light. I can only imagine what it's like around the world. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a strange. I mean, here in New Zealand, you know, we, we as you say, we are able to just sort of take it for granted that we oh we'll go to the movies and you know <laughs> and we won't have and to wear we masks will. and we're non vaccinated <laughs> and all these things are. Fine, but even within the limited context, there's still, um, I think we are seeing these very strangely distributed economic impacts that, um, and also because there's been these new renovations, like, you know, down at the end of Commercial Bay on Queen Street, you know, it's like they've got all these new restaurants and new market, they've got 277. And so if you go to certain places, it's like, oh, everything's going, everything's normal. But if you walk tip to tail down Queen Street. Street. Yep. It's the most desolate I've seen it since I originally moved here in 2004. Oh, I... And Newmarket, it's like almost every other shop on the out mm-hmm. exteriors is, you know, for lease. Yeah, I haven't been in the Central City since I left my job in Central City, and that was a year and a half ago. I have not set foot in Queen Street, right. which is, the you know, was, you know, still is the main drag of Auckland. But 
I have no reason to go there. And if I went there, I'd probably be very surprised at what was there and what wasn't. But you will be going there. I will be going the, there for that, for one way or another. If it, yeah. if it says the word IMAX on there, I'm booking the ticket and I'm calling in sick to a school. He's calling in Godzilla that day, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and don't be scared when you get to the movie theater and the marquee at the outside says Jojo Rabbit and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> oh my because Lord. it has still said that since those films played. That's good, because wow. I still haven't seen one of those. So. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not actually playing. No. They're just seeing it on the marquee. Because that's the level of care and concern that uh, Ben Street Queen... Event Queen Street seems to have. No. So that's one. Do we round Yeah, your turn. Yes. Yeah, that's round one. Over to you. All right. Well, I uh, recently went to the Hollywood and saw um, another screening of The Warriors, but I don't want to talk about that. But it's great. It's a brilliant film. I did don't they want come to out talk about it. They did come out and play. Good. It's, um, <laughs> it's, I've seen it before. They came out and play the last time. They came out and play this time. It's one thing about being yeah. into film is that you know, you never go and like, oh, I was hoping they were going to play their big hit, but not this. Time. <laughs> 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 no, they, just, they decided to go in a different direction. The Warriors we're, we're, were playing their we're new jam. Jazz. We're more about peace and love <laughs> instead of like gang fights. Warriors come out and hug. <laughs> There's a level of consistency to watching a film over yes. and over again. Um, I, I did go and see Capricorn 1 at the Hollywood, uh, which is fantastic, but I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> what I want to talk about is Promising Young Woman, which was, was not at the Hollywood. Yeah. Not at the Hollywood. <laughs> no. It okay. was a new film. Yes. I want to talk, for a change, about a new film. Uh, now, I, I, I really liked it when I saw it in the cinema, and the more and more I thought about it, I, I, I've my affection for it has grown. It's, um, and I don't really know how to talk about This is the exact opposite of my experience, but, um, again, we both both have the, um, (laughs) potential to, uh, figure out how to talk about it without spoiling it. Yes, well, yeah, it's, um, well, let's work that one out. <laughs> so, um, very quickly, because Steve's probably like, uh, is, is this you, is this yeah. about a woman who's, um, you know, succeeding at a company and, like, <laughs> you know, overcomes obstacles to succeed in the end? Um, uh, well, uh, anyway, so it's Carrie Mulligan, column a, column B. is um, holds the film together and is amazing, and I think we'll mm-hmm. probably, that will certainly be we, the core of our agreement. Yeah. Um, we might shake hands on that one right is, now. Yeah, yeah as... Uh, <laughs> In mysterious circumstances, she's living at home. We established that early on. She's working at a coffee shop, not very hard, but mysteriously gets to keep her job. She seems to go out at night, pretend to be drunk, and um, have encounters with men. And I think anything more than that is spoiler territory. Yes. Other than to say that perhaps if you're expecting a Miss 45 type of movie as has been was sort of promised going in that's probably not the way to think about this mm. and it's directed by emerald fennel who is most famous for directing a series of killing eve yes yeah and also was in um a series of the crown so i think she's an oh yeah she's as an well. actress as well as a director yes yeah and so that's that's yeah, that's how you talk about this movie. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I know me, less now than when you actually started. What I can it, it, say <laughs> is that when I saw it originally, it's um, and I can mention this without spoiling it, it's the way Doug has described it. It's, it's not Ms. 45, which is an exploitation piece. That's kind of what the trailer sets it up to be. Yeah. 
And if it was, say, a European film or an English film, that probably would it might have pushed forward with those that darker story. I found that a little bit disappointing when I watched it originally, but the film stays with me. It sat with me, and I've come to realize that the whole point of the movie was that it wasn't an exploitation piece. The the re the reason for doing the film the way they did the film was so it didn't it was more real and it wasn't about revenge it wasn't about the normal way we see revenge in an exploitation movie it was more about how the effects of revenge on everyone involved and it's a it's a very funny very deep and destroying kind of movie it's just i i really got something from it mm. discuss <laughs> oh um i felt that uh there was a kind of i i feel like that it was a very it's a very uh it's a film of glittering surfaces i mean quite literally like she's got these pastel colored nails that are all different colors that are perfectly kept throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, there's lots of, not quite Wes Anderson, but sort of symmetrical framings and things that... Um, but there's a certain um, cleverness to it that feels like a, a bit glib. And it, um, mm -hmm. it, to me, it felt a bit like... Um, you know, there's this di division between TV and film. And at a certain point, we all knew what that was. Mm -hmm. And I think as time goes by, it's a bit harder to identify as, you know, TV is becoming much more uh, quality and film is not necessarily always living up to its end <laughs> of the bargain. It's not as simple as that. But I think there's a way that you shape narrative and character arcs in shows like Breaking Bad and Ozark and things like that that's mm -hmm. very different from the way that you shape character in a film and there's a way that you throw from scene to scene and the way that you cover scenes and think about other characters. And, and this is also probably sounds a bit abstract and I think it, mm -hmm. it's a bit abstract to me, but when I watched promising young woman, I felt like I was watching quality TV instead of ah, a film. And I, and I, and then, yeah. And then also just a bit of the, um, there are individual scenes that are quite gripping. There's uh, her, the film would not work at all if her performance was not mm. so note perfect. Absolutely. And I think, and, um, and there are quite a few narrative surprises along the way. Um, but I, I, I guess the thing is, it is taking, you're talking about it being revenge, being corrosive, but to me it was actually taking the experience of trauma mm -hmm. and kind of candy coating it in in this surface and treating it with a sort of a glib sarcastic veneer in a way that didn't I had just watched um Pieces of a Woman, which oh. is a Netflix film uh with Vanessa Kirby, Kirby and Shia LaBeouf and and mm. and that film has completely different problems, but um it as a depiction of trauma, it felt so honest and brutal and un, uh, unfiltered by cleverness mm. that there was something about Promising Young Woman that I felt was like a bit removed by comparison. 
Right. Okay. That's what I would say. I'd, I'm, I'd just be inclined to say I disagree with <laughs> with most of that. And this is, yeah. this is what we do here. We yeah. have very varying opinions on yeah, film, but we yeah. we are polite and genteel about it. Off, <laughs> off. <laughs> 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 Bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> the rules don't apply anymore. <laughs> the gloves are off. Yes. <laughs> oh, we're doing the rest of the Sean Connery accent. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> wow, I've reached Skeet's Club already. Uh, but uh, one thing I, I, I truly loved about the film is that they um, the casting of... They cast mm. the... Um, all known, every single uh, nice guy actor out there on the market right now was cast in this film. Yeah. It's um, there were it, I, I knew every single one of them had seen them all before. Christopher Mintz Plass and um, it's, the um, guy who directed Eighth Grade, whose name I'm blanking. Uh, Bo Burnham. Yeah. And uh, there's the um, guy from Veronica Mars, who's also in Glow, who's um, the... You're, you're looking at me like I know them. Well, you, you know Glow, and <laughs> know, you know, know the, but, um, the guy you, who's the producer that is But you know I can walk into my work and see a person and go, I don't yeah. even know your name in <laughs> <laughs> Right. Mm. Yeah, he has a, the, has a name for faces. The face blind. Yeah. <laughs> is not the one to point to. You but I, I, I know the face you're looking for. But anyway, it's, um, and there's the guy from The New Girl... Um, uh, who's also from Veronica Mars. It's right. but the, lots of nice guy I, Adam I, Brody. Lots of nice guy actors. Is all Joss Whedon in it? Who? Joss <laughs> Whedon. Joss Whedon. Oh, wow! Wow! I oh oh the hurt. Um, but it's and I and they were all cast specifically because of their nice yeah. guyishness and um, it, it's just amazing. Um, and uh, uh, Alfred Molina was one of the best performances oh, he's I've really seen. He's really good in that, yeah. Uh, and his role is, and not a, it's just his role is about five minutes long, mm. but it's he's just stunning in this movie. It's uh, yeah, I am, I recommend it, but it's it's a hard one to recommend because yeah. it's uh, there will some be some people who will simply. Um, not even like you, Doug. They just won't go along for that ride. That uh... I, I mean, I think it's worth a look. I think, and I mm. think also like the extent to which my voice is. Re- I mean, this is something I think about a lot. Is that you know we're um, still pale males, you know, cis hat white, blah blah blah, and um, and as guys that um, don't necessarily need to have our personal experiences mm. validated on screen. Um, our reaction is going to be very different from somebody who, you know, has maybe leaned on mm. one of these nice guys in the past or mm. multiple nice guys only to be have been betrayed, which is why I brought up the Joss Whedon thing, because mm. like that seems very salient at the moment. It and does. so I think there will be I mean, I, I feel similar about uh, I don't know if you were going to mention Rurangi or not which is out now. I wasn't. Um, is, uh, but that's a film about a New Zealand film um, with a transman in the lead. And it's a very issues-driven film. And I found the script was a bit overladen with oh, issues. Right. But I also felt like for its audience, seeing a transman getting to exist, a transman playing a transman, first of all, as opposed to, mm. you know, being you know played by a cis person. But then also... 
um, getting to exist as a multidimensional character and speak to those issues. I don't know that for that audience it really matters that the ending's a bit pat and, and right. that this dramaturgy is mechanical. It's like, it, it feels like that's not my job to shit on their, mm. <laughs> you know, their experience of it. But uh, I can shit on yours. <laughs> fair enough. We're all I, here. You can do that. <laughs> I've, I've deliberately, it's, um, in my life, I've deliberately tried not to be a, uh, to review movies, to be someone who is a, a critic. I like to see films from a, entertainment mm. point of view or I, I don't want to sully that experience and uh, yeah for me it was um it had a nice darkness to it um that i thought was paid uh, it ended in pretty much the only way it could and, and I'm, I'm sure you may have issues with my statement there <laughs> but i th- i thought it was uh, a great film and i i very much enjoyed it and will certainly return to it again and before i leave i do have to say clancy brown as the father was <laughs> such a surprise he's uh, not playing a a bad guy or a nasty guy or uh, a, a, even a guy with a temper he was as middle of the road as Clancy Brown has ever been. And okay, that's doing my head in. <laughs> and he was great. Yeah. He really pulled that he's off. He's a solid actor. I mean, he's a solid character. Oh, actor, absolutely. You know? And he, he's one I like a lot. But it was just really great to see him have a busman's holiday, I suppose, yeah. playing something very different and very mild. Um. I know you mentioned some other new movies that you might talk about later, and I, I wasn't going to talk about new movies, but I would say that there is an amazing amount of good stuff out right now, and um, I just briefly recommend another round, The Nest and Shadow in the Cloud, um, I, and I don't know if you were planning on talking about any of those or not, but... Um, all three of those, I yeah, I mean, I think you know we're in the fact that we can go to the movies. We're so <laughs> damn lucky, and also I think a lot of people would connect with Minari, which is out now. Um, I didn't love it, but um, uh, literally almost everybody else I know. Has. Admit, I don't know much about the Shadow in the Cloud, but I know I'm intrigued by it because every time the trailer comes on before a YouTube video, I stop it, right? Because I don't want it spoiled and I don't want to know anything about it. But if if yes. you can see it at Newmarket VMAX, um, they Big actually have yep. the uh, capsule that they shot the film in that right. um, Chloe Grace Moretz spends a lot of her time in during the film. And um, yeah, it's um, its antecedents are very... Uh, uh, it's almost like an A meets B, if you know the things that it's coming it's from in a way. what I'm hearing. I mean, but, a kind of classy B film, and it's kind of... Well, it, it, it's it's a fun night at the movies. It's of the kind that we don't get too often. And so. I was... I, I'm friends with... I, or I'm Facebook friends with Roseanne, not friendly enough to get invited to the premiere, but um, friendly enough to be fr- friends on there. But I... So, you know, I shelled out my f- money on a Friday night, and I was like, well... You know, if I don't like it, well, I'll just quietly never talk about it again, as <laughs> as has happened with other films that I have big social connections with. And um, I'm I'm desperately trying to think of another film I can talk about now that isn't Shadow in the Clouds. <laughs> oh no! You, oh, oh, sorry. Well, well, we'll talk about it more. Oh, um, come back there. Sorry. Right? Well, that's why I was that's why I was waiting to see minutes. if you were going to talk about it because I didn't want to preempt <laughs> you, and you just kind of sat there. And well, I was like, hoping you would just leave it alone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so split image. Let's talk about split image. Let's do that because. Yeah, Split Image, uh, I put out a call on Twitter the other week for cult films, and um, not c- 
cult films like Holy Mountain. I guess Holy Mountain is kind of a cult film in that sense. <laughs> but what I really meant was films about, about cults. cults. And, and um, he was you know, spelling it correctly. Yeah, and, <laughs> and 43 people said Martha, Martha Marcy May Marlene. I said, yes, thank you. And, um, and there, you know, and there were uh, some other, like... And I was much more interested in sort of contemporary religious cults, um, you know, certainly some people would make reference to various, you know, satanic kind of, you know, secret society kinds of things. But um, Andrew Todd mentioned a film called Split Image, which I'd never heard of. And uh, it turned out to be on Amazon Prime, so I, I checked it out. And um, it's incredible. Um, and you've both seen it? Or no, you, I have not. You've seen it? Oh, oh, I thought you had. Uh, I'm pretty sure we played it here. Did we? So, well, we played um, a lot of things here. It was a real well, yeah. So I cannot remember the name of the lead for the life of me. He's a young gymnast who's uh, in, seduced by a, Karen, a young Karen Allen, who turns out to be the member of this cult led by Peter Fonda. And um, and so his parents, his father being Brian Michael Dennehy, O'Keefe. Michael O'Keefe, who I don't think is of any major like fame relative to most of the other people in the film. Uh, no, he, he was in Caddyshack. Yeah, uh, Michael Clayton in the Pledge, but uh, no, yeah. he's not not a famous fame person. Yeah. So, and the first forty five minutes or so, you're kind of there's elements of it that feel a bit familiar as the person enters the cult, and you're like, we know how this goes. Um, Peter Fonda's pretty good, but it's not like top tier Fonda as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. He's He's okay as the cult leader, but, um, you know, we've seen a lot of those moves before. But um, what um, the movie goes next level because James Woods is a deprogrammer <laughs> hired by <laughs> Dennehy to get him out of the cult. And and I don't really want to talk about exactly where it goes other than... But he's playing James Woods. Let's, let's, let's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, it's... Um, I, I almost... Uh, wanted to try to come up with an excuse to do three James Woods films that is James Woodiest to make an episode <laughs> out of, which I don't think is quite ludicrously specific enough. Um, but, you know... He's um, normally he, fairly Woody. <laughs> yeah, he is... He yes. is out of control. And the film goes out of control with him. And it's a, um, it's a really good watch. It's, it's an undersung film with a mm. stellar cast in it. Um, yeah, and it's on Amazon Prime. And so if you have that, you can watch it for free tonight. Um, which I don't. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Amazon. Yeah. No money for you. Screw, yeah, I look, yeah, I look back at my Netflix you, just in case, and I, I haven't seen it since. It's not listed in anything right. I've seen since 2015. So if I'd right. seen it, it, it was, was a long time then. ago, yeah. and my brain does not retain that. <laughs> Let's face it: if you were seduced by Karen Allen, I, I'd follow her into a cult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she makes a compelling argument. You know, it's um, yeah, and she does. If, if the option is. You, being seduced by her or getting shouted at by James Woods. Uh, <laughs> get in the road, please. I'm in the cult now. See, I wouldn't mind being yeah. shouted at by James Woods, but oh, I maybe, would. I would definitely maybe not say. James Woods now. <laughs> yes. James no, Woods. Even then, well, he just up James Woods then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> These he he just... makes Max Ren from Videodrome look like you know somebody you'd want to have over for a sleepover by comparison. <laughs> you know. Now Michael O'Keefe. It's um, so it hasn't gone on to huge famous fame but he was the the lead or co-lead in nathan hayes ah so with tommy lee jones playing captain bully hayes yes savage island as i always oh right okay yeah so he would would have been on our shores yes i haven't seen savage island but i am most violent movies i got to see by myself as a kid because (laughs) it was 
you know, 1982 yeah. or something, and it was a PG or whatever the equivalent mm-hmm. of PG was at the time, pretty much probably a G. <laughs> and I remember being almost horrified by it at the time. And I, I love that film. It's it's just a Tommy Lee Jones just coming out, having a New Zealand holiday, and getting to roll around the dirt and play, you know, Buccaneer. He gets to do his Errol Flynn, basically. Absolutely. It's amazing how ratings have changed. We went and saw um, Raiders of the Lost Ark on the big screen the other week. And, and before we went, Sarah was like, oh, you know, maybe we can take our four-year-old nephew to see it sometimes. It's like, no, also, no, also hashtag bad parenting, no. Uh, I, well, I can't talk about bad parenting, so. No, no you can't. I can't, no. Speaking no. of not being a bad parent, what's your number two? I don't think it's bad parenting related at all. It's not, actually. My third one is actually, uh, More good, par- is actually good parenting related, oh, but in yeah. a weirder way. Um, I, because I didn't games? watch yeah. an awful lot in the last month month um i was looking back at what i did with cinema z uh, unfortunately we watched uh titanic 2 which is makes you long for death basically it's just boring we watched uh the last shark which is an italian jaws ripoff, oh yes which is literally just jaws only quint doesn't know where he's from because his accent is scottish irish and occasionally welsh uh, and Lovely. the shark doesn't bother turning up for most of it because most of the film uh, is just basically waving the camera around then cutting to the same shot of a shark. Basically what people do now to make shark movies only without the CGI. Right. So I can't talk about those because they were boring. So I look back quite a long way. I'm sitting up at the moment uh, collating movies for my annual B-Fest South. So this normally has already happened by now. B-Fest would be happening about as we record in America and Chicago. It is a 24-hour film festival. At Northwestern University where my um, dad was... uh, one uh, thesis short of a PhD in computer science. Oh, there you go. So there's masters a, a nice there. ludicrously specific connection. Yeah, <laughs> my mom got her master's there as well. Yeah, anyway. So that's over in Evanston, Illinois, and yeah. I've been in connection with uh, a lot of the guys off message boards for well, several decades now. And normally when they are screening, we simultaneously screen a 24-hour at my place. I just pick the films. Some I used to try and pick the films to coincide with what they were showing there. Now I just, I just go nuts. But, of course, COVID has killed BFS for 2021 in America, so I am now setting that up for a little bit later. How this relates to it is I thought, to I'd, I thought I'd look back and at last year's 24-hour run, because I want to talk about the surprise hit of last year's one, which was Josie and the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. Such a good film. Josie and the Pussycats, wow, 2001. that's an awesome movie. I put that on on a whim basically two or three days before we... I continually changed the, yeah. the lineup, and about two or three days before we, we screened, I put that one on, and it killed with everyone from a you know my eighteen year old niece all the way up to us graying old fogies, because it is just a fun comedy, a real blast of two thousand one nostalgia, with a great soundtrack, with a really likable cast, mm. and including just, du jour, including du jour, <laughs> yes, du jour, yes, they'll be your backdoor lovers. Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it for like 18 years, so oh, I don't oh, remember it, is, it very well. It's I still good. It, is, it really yeah. holds up. And I mean, you look at the cast list. I mean, you've got Alan Cumming, who's just the, the bright spot of the whole yeah. movie, mm-hmm. and, a, and a movie full of bright spots. Rosaria Dawson, Rachel Lee Cook, Parker Tara Reid, Posey. Posey. It's just 
a yeah. ton of Seth Green. actors having a really good time. It feels like the movie I wanted Spice World to be, and that it was like for about four percent of the time. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's not very long. No, it, no, it's not. It's that, really that not. is always one of those movies I'd be meaning to put on for a bad movie night, and just don't want to subject myself to Spice World because. I didn't like him at the time. I don't think the I want to see him. percent Would that yeah. be the, uh, Roger Moore's part? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember... So I saw Spice World and in theatrical release on opening weekend, and I went with some friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've lost all respect for this now. Yeah, well, I, was, I, I had seen a review of it or something that thought it was quite... claimed it was actually quite clever. And um, and there are, there are a few gags in it that, like... Um, I amused me, and I think would probably amuse you, but it was definitely one of those... It was the three of us who were in our early 20s and a theater of 12-year-olds. And oh, so boy. it was them leaning forward at the songs and us leaning back and vice versa. <laughs> and this kind of, you know... Um, That's great for a, a visual medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, he was definitely doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... But, it's, yeah, but, but Josie and the Pussycats definitely yeah. like, hit that pop culture bell for me it a lot more it really does and I mean it's I was I was not expecting it to hold up quite as well as it did because I thought maybe it's going to be a full of data references you know there's I mean Carson Daly from I assume it's from MTV or VH1 or something similar yeah. at the time turns up in quite a big part but he is having a great time you can tell as well yeah. he's not just there just to go oh look it's Carson Daly from VH1 it's not like kind of the epic movies going oh look it's yeah. Paris Hilton it, he was there to actually play a part and he got a great little role there which just pulled the rug out from underneath his entire personality yeah so I can definitely recommend that if you if you are a, someone who hasn't seen that movie in 15-20 years go back and have a look at it because it is it's just as I say I can't say it enough it's fun and sometimes you, and especially in 2020 to 2021 uh-huh. we just need some fun yeah and that was right before we got into the lockdown that was kind of end of February so that was our our last big kind of movie fling before the next couple of months of watching movies and talking about it on the internet, so yeah. which wasn't quite as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. What's well, your number two? I will follow up with something that was also just a bit of fun. It's uh, Airwig and the Angry Inch, or Airwig and the Witch. Airwig. 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 No, no. What? Airwig and the Witch. Oh, okay. It's the, um, so it's the Studio Ghibli film. The, uh, yes. I thought you were having a mild stroke there for a second. <laughs> No, it's it's just how I thought of it when I first saw the title. <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> but it, it's Miyazaki Junior. Goro. Yep, that's him uh, directing, and it's uh, it's definitely doesn't hit the heights of standard Ghibli, but it's uh, it's just fun. It's just a uh, a nice time out. It's um, fun characters. The um, some of the voice works a little ropey, or, or just the, Did you the watch accent. the English dub? Or? English okay. dub, unfortunately. I would have preferred to see the uh, uh, the original, but it didn't get that option. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, Richard E. Grant is great. Quite surprisingly, Dan Stevens as the cat right. is phenomenally good. And I think Why it, is that surprising? He's good in everything. He, he is good, but it's... Um, in the trailer, he looks. It he just okay. doesn't come across very well. But I also think it's the fact that uh, so much of it seems to be because the way um, Miyazaki films work is that the film is made and then the voices, are, are, which is not the way it's done in um, in the Western cinema. 
Um, so I have a feeling that he was able to see all the actions of the cat, and, uh, and it, I think that added a great deal to his performance. No, I've I've liked Dan uh, Dan Stevens and, and everything as well. It's just the trailer made right, him okay. look pretty damn. You've lame. seen him in the Eurovision film, right? I have not. It's, He's so good in it. It's a mediocre film, uh, yeah, but he I is heard great it in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, uh, it's. It's a good background film, and then you can just sort of like if you've got your taxes to do or something, put it on, and then Woo. like when uh, <laughs> and then when Dad Steven, you know, pay attention. Um, yeah, maybe it's an ironing film, <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, it's um, uh, Richard E. Grant was great. Uh, it's a it's a fun film, uh, and I, I really won't talk too much about the story because there isn't a lot of story, but it's um, and it has. This possibly a spoiler, I don't know, but it is the most abrupt ending of a film I have ever seen. <laughs> it's just okay. We're ending now. Well, I've got to say, when we watched uh, My Neighbor Totoro, yes, and we got to the end, and Aiden is it Totoro trance. or Totoro? Totoro, 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 Totoro. My apologies to Totoro. I'm sure he'll be fine with that. But <laughs> everyone on the cat bus. <laughs> yes. Oh. When, we, when we watched that, and I mean, Aiden was entranced by it yeah. because it is such. How old was he when you showed it to him? Probably ten. Oh, okay. Probably nine or ten, maybe nine or ten. But we watched that, and it got to the end, and he just turned and went, "Is that the end?" Is and it's like, yeah, it's just we've told this much of a story. We don't mm. need a big symbol crash at the end. Yeah. That's your lot. You've you're done. Let's move on. But. Phenomenal movie, and I mean, I have not seen enough of them. They're sitting on my Netflix, and every time mm. that I right, look at yeah. that, I go, well, "Why haven't I watched these ones?" I watched oh, at least man, three or four, and should, I've uh, have you, one. Has he seen Howl's Moving Castle? Yes, on the big screen. Oh, okay. and that's also that, uh, yeah. Diana Wynne Jones, isn't it? Um, Howl's Moving Castle. Only, oh yes, 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 yes. And that's um, um, Airwig and the Angry Inn. Uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> Airwig and the Witch is also Diana Wynne Jones. For anyone who's not getting that reference, <laughs> he's conflating with Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is such a very bonkers musical. That... John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's the and one. It's, I, for me, it's it's very much that's uh, that's kind of a, has the almost the same flow as the Rocky Horror Picture Show, where it it starts off it hits a phenomenal song, and then the end just kind of goes nah, and just trails off. But I still love it because it's quirky as hell. I have not seen that film. You've so not seen it. Yeah, you'd love it. I think you'd love it. You definitely yeah. would. Yeah. yeah, you love it. Scratches notes <laughs> on beef fest possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll mention a Japanese film, which otherwise, and it's also a new film that otherwise has nothing in common, called Cenote. Um, it, I won't talk about it too much because I don't think either of you guys will like it at all. Um, <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's, it's on, it's on movie right now, and uh-huh. it um, is by a, a female uh, director named Kari Oda, who studied under... Latar, who did fame, did Saint and Tango and all those kinds of things. Oh, um, but this is very different. Um, so cenotes are uh, these uh, blue holes that are kind of cylindrical that go down into the sea and seem to be lit from underneath. And they're in Belize and um, a few other places, and uh, they're very entrancing. Um, and so when I saw that there was a movie called Cenote, I'm like. I just want to hang out for 80 minutes in a cenote because I'm never not going to be able to get there any time for the foreseeable future. Um, and what she's done is she's done a lot of underwater photography that's very experimental, like kind of 
mixes of iPhones and 8mm and stuff like that, combined with um, uh, narration from the Mayans around the area because they used to be used as um, places of Mayan sacrifice. And so they would be places where the souls would transfigure to the next universe and supposedly the bodies would disappear and never return, which oh. A seems worrying and B seems worrying when you're projecting to swimming around this place that has had how many corpses in it floating over <laughs> the years. Um, but it's, um, I really, um, people talk about this, what film would you like to have made? And look, 2001 is my favorite film. I don't, I would not have liked to have made it because A, I'm not good enough, and B, that would have been really fucking hard. Um, so when I watch this film and it's like, you know, diving around this amazing space underwater and shooting these beautiful images, and, and I was just like, oh, it's such an immersive, incredible experience. Um, there was a film called Leviathan that played at the festival about eight years ago that had sort of a similar kind of photography, but it was set on a fishing boat. And... Um, um, so yeah, it, it was just very transportive, very everything I needed right now in the landlocked life of 2021 to go spend underwater and, and use this kind of, there's a, quite a few art films that use this, um, local people telling a story while showing up semi unrelated footage. And a lot of them are just kind of lame. And this one really worked for me. Mm. Um, so I'd encourage anyone who has movie to, um, check it out. It's only 80 minutes, and I think you'll know in five minutes. I played it once, and then I actually, the other day, I played it a second time just as visual um, oh, wallpaper, nice. and it's just, uh, every time I looked up, I went, oh, you know, <laughs> just a bit of gog at the uh, wonderful pictures. Well, maybe you're just good at selling it, but that actually sounds really good. Oh, well, I look forward to you being disappointed when you actually <laughs> see it. <laughs> I'm just disappointed because you mentioned Leviathan and it wasn't the underwater uh, alien knockoff. I still haven't the... seen that one. <laughs> That's oh. actually, there's what, Deep what, Star the Six Russian and Leviathan? Oh, there we go. Deep, Deep Star, Star Six, Star Leviathan, and, and what's the third? Oh, an underwater one, Sphere. The Rift? Like. The Rift. Oh, the Rift. There we go. Okay. At some stage. But, um, oh, the yeah. Abyss? The Abyss. I'm really not big on the oh, abyss. I've, I've, oh. I've seen the abyss. The abyss is the one they're ripping up. off. It's such a, m- a movie that I have probably seen four times, and every time I'm like halfway through going, I'm still not sure why I'm watching this. Fuck you. Because Fuck visually you. it looks fine, it's great, it's amazing. The special effects at the time were mind blowing, but at the end of it, I always come up feeling a little hollow. I don't know why. What about Deep Rising? Deep Rising. The Stephen Summers film? The early 90s? Like, Oh, yeah. Uh, so we played it here. We probably have. And my brain is <laughs> going... about a year nope. ago. Yeah. On a, a new Blu-ray. I'm, I'm beginning to worry that I'm getting early onset dementia. Because you've shown me so watched, many no, films. Don't, don't worry about it. You've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got what? <laughs> but you watch them in all the same place as well. So it's all coming through this, the same screen. This is the screen, thing. You know? That's so many the thing about eventually. going to the cinema. Is you can I'm going kind to of tie you to a chair and force you to watch this. It's amazing. Film, and I, uh, well, uh, speaking of getting tied to the chair and tortured, um, you watch Raging Bull. Yeah. <laughs> that okay. That's how it's going to happen. <laughs> That's literally that how it's going to happen. That is how it will happen. Yeah, and at the end of it, I'll be like, yeah, it was okay. But uh, yeah. moving on, uh, <laughs> what I've actually been watching was not movies. Over the course of the last, I don't know how many months, because they blurred together, my son has insisted that we watch a full season of Pokemon Sun and Moon. Oh, Jesus. If you, I'm looking at you two. You haven't watched Pokemon because you don't have kids. No. no. The only reason... <laughs> That's that why you're looking at us members, with admiration. Yeah, someone, the only reason someone in their mid-40s 
should watch Pokemon. And there's people out there who are in their mid-40s who love Pokemon. It's because your kids are doing it and you're being good dad. So it's Pokemon Eyes Out? Jeez, I have never watched a season of 48 episodes (laughs) that don't seem to be related to any of the other episodes in that. How all. long is an episode? 22, 22 minutes? 22 minutes. And some of them, of some of them zip by in 22 joy. minutes, and some of them feel like about an hour and a half. <laughs> some of them are just so bizarre that you end up looking at each... We literally, after the first few episodes, we have been mystery science and theatering the shit out of this. Right. Both of us. Because yeah. it's the only way to get through this. But he's still insistent. Uh, he's insistent. To... We, oh, yeah. We, we binged several, several times. We would binge two or three episodes in a row, oy, and that oy, really, oy. really hurts. There was, there was uh, one episode where the editing made it look like uh, Ash and Pikachu were about to bone on an island because it faded out at the wrong time as they <laughs> rolled onto to, down to get a slope together and oh the music was God. playing that just perfectly faded out. And I'm like, they're boning. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what Ash is. Ash so. is the, the main character. Basically, the, the whole Pokemon universe... I'll go on, explain does, it to us. ...does not have, will compute. You cannot explain it because the world would be full of dead 10-year-olds because everything <laughs> in the world that looks cute can explode, electrocute you, cause a rock slide. The whole crux of this episode, which didn't even come out in the final episode, was they were searching for the Z-Move. And you know what the Z-Move does? It causes a small contained nuclear explosion from your Pokemon while you're standing three feet away from it. And everybody around is just perfectly fine. But every episode, every character should be dead. And I just don't get it. There there was one episode which just seemed to be all the animators just went, let's put every single Pokemon that we've ever created in this one episode. So it was like listening to someone list 150 Pokemon as they were passed by the screen. Oh, there's such and such. There's Jigglypuff. There's Floppy Doodle. And if you're not... As a twelve-year-old boy, oh it's God. it's an incredible experience. It is. We definitely we bonded over humor, but there's two more seasons, and one of them is even longer. It's fifty-two episodes. Have you watched that um, American Detective Pikachu thing? I did, and I quite liked it. It was okay. it was fun. It's disposable fun, but is it I can seeing if you've never seen any of the Pokemon stuff, or will it just be incomprehensible? I, if you, it's without seeing it, you can you can understand it because they do give you a bit of a layout about it, and it's it's kind of a simplified version. But is it if only you're watching, for Bill Nye um, completists? If or? you're watching this one, it does assume that you've seen the ten previous seasons of oh, different really? ones or ten oh, previous se- series. This thing's been going for twenty plus years. Yeah, and the first movie I looked up came out in the year two thousand, and all the reviews of it said. We'd like to apologise to any parents that have had to be dragged to this because we didn't understand it and you won't either. Because even then, they, the the movie basically threw you into a world and just kind of went, no explanations! Yeah. Have fun, <laughs> yeah. It's just dog fighting with cute little creatures. So, um, And it's actually incredibly dark because there's there's a Pokemon there that steals children's souls. There's another one that buries children under under... Uh, sand and makes itself into a sentient sandcastle uh, through the power of the. You know, life. for kids. For kids, exactly. <laughs> we use that joke about 48 times in those 48 episodes. <laughs> you know, for kids. Boom! <laughs> so, Has Aiden seen Hot Sucker Proxy? Or does uh, he no, just. Uh, no. yeah, he just makes the joke. Yeah, because we've been, joke. Making we've been making the that joke, joke for years, for years yeah, and he's right, picked that up. So. But if you, if you do want to waste 48 hours of your life then no. as I say there's there's three seasons of this and apparently another one in production so, emphatically well. no <laughs> <laughs> 
I could have done so much other things. I could have watched Raging Bull like four or five uh, times. You could have watched Sin and Tango. Forget But here's the next season. We start that next week. Yay. Uh, mm. High fives all around. I've never felt better about not being a parent. <laughs> well, I'm... I'm don't want to talk too much about Shadow in the Cloud because I, don't I fucked want... it up. Well, no, no, actually, because I think that Skeets would really enjoy it, and there's it is very easy. Blind. It is very easy to spoil, so it's just know that it's it's a romp. It's really entertaining, and like it's romps. well done. It's... <laughs> yeah, and you should go see it in the damn theater. Yes. The five one sound was great too. That was another thing. I think it was seven one actually. But yeah, having I have time off coming out, if it's still playing yeah. when I take my time off, that's definitely one I'm sure. It's up, a theater so. experience. And bloody Absolutely. Monster Hunter is still in cinemas, so if that could last <laughs> oh, a month oh, and oh, a half, bloody Shadow in the Cloud better. What I want to talk about out to replace it. I mean, seriously, is it's uh, Christopher Plummer um, has. Uh, has passed. He's an amazing actor. We've enjoyed many, many of his films. Um, and last weekend, I had the opportunity to see on a biggish sized screen, on a projector, one of my favorite Christopher Plummer performances, uh, which has. I've just lost the name. <laughs> the Silent Partner. The Silent Partner. He didn't even allow me to be silent for 10 seconds. <laughs> Uh, and it is, it's a tremendous movie and everyone here is nodding their head because I've, I've subjected them all to it. I, I take issue with the word subjected because yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you should subject It's not Zombie Lake. It's, no. it's the opposite of Zombie Lake. It's You're never going to let me forget that. <laughs> Why would I? Uh, to give you a, a brief synopsis, uh, and again, without spoiling too much, um, it basically there's a bank robber posing as Santa. Um, he uh, actually, how do I? No, it's it's too easy to spoil, isn't it? There's, so it's a very twisty, turny movie. It's it's basically a cat and mouse game between yeah. a very clever bank teller, Elliot Gould, Elliot Gould. At the most, Elliot Gouldist. <laughs> He's sort of a. He's kind of like a hot nebbish. He's kind of... <laughs> wow. It's, well, because he's yeah. kind of... Uh, he collects um, uh, uh, exotic fish, and he has a very quiet home life, and yet uh, Susanna York is coming on to him, who's his colleague. Um, and it's... Uh, so he... It's Elliot Gould, very, very clever bank teller versus a very passionate sadistic sadomasochistic yes. uh, thief who uh, likes to pose as Santa for the main part and it's definitely could be seen as a Christmas film I've seen it as a Christmas film for the sure you've played it as a Christmas film a few times I, I haven't seen it for quite some time and it's set in Toronto's Eden Centre which I went to as a mm. kid probably within a year or two of the time that that film was shot so it has a bit of nostalgia for me as well mm. and it's um, oh the famous writer it's the writer who did um, was is it, it McBain? no uh, McBain um, Usual Suspects or something what is it uh, 
No, that's Christopher McQuarrie. Oh, no, then that's not it. <laughs> but it's directed by uh, Daryl Dukes, Dukes, who also yeah. did uh, Payday, which I have been meaning to see. Um, any luck there on the... Uh... Curtis Hansen. Oh, Curtis. Oh, yeah, who Eight Mile LA Confidential, The River Wild. Um... That's the one. Yeah. So he's the writer, and it's also got John Candy in a very... A, oh, that's right, yeah. Very young John Candy, who gets an entire... Uh, romantic subplot throughout the course of the movie which uh, you see him uh, uh, meet the girl of his dreams uh, romance the girl of his dreams who's, um, and um, then the girl of his dreams cheats on him and then they marry it's um, all through the course of a night. somebody who's not concerned with spoilers but, you know, it's not really the main thrust of the it film is, yeah. it's, well it only ever happens in the background None of, it's never actually focused on in any real way it's, um, yeah, it's a very very smart clever in some parts horrifying film with an awesome jazz soundtrack which is basically the main theme played in many, many, many different ways throughout. And I can already hear it in my head, so we're going to cut that in here now. <laughs> if you like, sure. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Um, Christopher Plummer It's is stunning in this role. He is... He is, in some parts, comic, in other parts, absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And always intense he, it, it, there's an intensity to his performance that never leaves and it's it's a good way to remember him I think it's uh, it's been too long since I've seen it. I've got to actually put that on my list to rewatch when I get my time off and have a, a few a days off uh, from work to review some movies that I've been meaning to see Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's one I'd love to see on the big screen so if anyone ever felt like it just saying <laughs> <laughs> we know you listen to this Matt <laughs> And then you could put some pressure on him too, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's but yeah, tremendous film, and what an amazing career Christopher Plummer had. Yeah, it's who it still remained relevant right up until the time of his I passing. Mean, seriously, one of the best Shakespearean actors considered of all time, and appeared in Star Crash. Yeah. <laughs> Although apparently, but every time I look at him in Star Crash, I think he has no he, idea what. Well, he's I doing. think I heard that. I think yeah. he actually had no idea he that what just, the film was about when he was he appearing. Was just filmed for a day or two, I think maybe I maybe only a day. They Absolutely. put him in the costume. He delivered all the gravitas, <laughs> and then Star Crash happened around it. <laughs> if, if you haven't seen Knives Out, you his performance yeah. in that is but, really great. Well, and uh, another movie, which is actually, we had to discuss this, but is my last one, is um, uh, The Insider, which uh, we, um, we, Sarah and I woke up Sunday morning and she's like, I want to watch The Insider. And um, once again, um, we segued the shit out of it. Yes. (laughs) And and obviously, The Insider is a film with no shortage of great performances. I mean, Russell Crowe famously changed the whole arc of his career by being the fat schlubby guy, um, thereby um, presaging a future of him being fat on <laughs> screen. Um, but at the time, it was a groundbreaking revision for him as Jeffrey Wigand, the tobacco scientist. Um, Al Pacino, I, I think I said on another one about Godfather Coda that that was his last um, subtle performance, but mm. I'd forgotten about The Insider and just how wonderfully subtle he is for so much of it and how like um you know um 
Crow's trying to bond about his father and he's like, you know, my father inspired me. He was a great man. And um, Pacino says, my father left when he was five years old. He was not the greatest man. Anyway, and he, mm-hmm. it's one of those lines that a different actor would lean into and he mm. just like bulldozes past and and not even bulldozes past brushes under the rug and 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 just has this beautiful subtlety through so much of it and there's there's a little bit of Pacino yelling at the end but at that time because of the arc of the film which for those who don't know a um, little Bergman played by Al Pacino is a 60 minutes producer this is based on a true story who uh Contacts Jeffrey Weigand about uh, initially an unrelated story about um, tobacco, um, just as he has been fired from Brown and Williamson, the tobacco company he worked at. And in trying to play it cool, he tips his hand that actually like, oh, actually, there's all sorts of stuff I can't talk about. So don't ask me about it. And um, (laughs) which is a red rag to a bull when you're a 60 Minutes reporter. And so it's this process of bringing this story to air and then the fallout and consequences of that. And um, and including um, one of the greatest scenes of one upsmanship in history um, where uh, Russell Crowe goes to give his testimony in a Mississippi court after he's got a um a restraining order in the state of Kentucky and the um Brown and Williamson person played by bloody Wingshauser Ramrod <laughs> oh my uh, gets up and says you know tries to shut him down and says you know da 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 you got a restraining order that means you don't talk got it and in any other movie that would be the moment of just <clears throat> and then Bruce McGill Who's the oh, southern lawyer? Who's amazing? Just in this starts film. saying, you know, just starts talking to him in this sort of condescending way. You know, you get, you know, you might think, you know, you got this thing, but th- this isn't, this isn't Kentucky, this isn't North Carolina, this isn't. He's come up to him and um, Wingshauser's smirching, and he just pounds the toes. What that smirk off your face? And <laughs> it is just. I mean, I remember when I first saw that. I saw that film in the theater at least twice, and. Both times, it was just like the moment, and uh-huh. um, and my honest to god dirty um, secret is when Christopher Plummer was talked about in the reviews afterwards as having given that great performance. I thought it was that guy because I didn't know who Christopher Plummer was. I'm like that moment, but um, so Christopher Plummer plays Mike <laughs> Wallace, and um, when uh, Mike Wallace, uh, sorry, when Christopher Plummer passed away, Russell Crowe did a long. Um, Twitter uh, awesome. semi-eulogy talking about um, uh, how everybody knew when that film came out in the acting community that was one of the great performances because it's so hard to do a celebrity and simultaneously embody the mannerisms of that celebrity from an exterior thing to fit with the mm. personality we all know and yet play it humanly um, and we've all seen films that kind of, you know, you feel like somebody's done a leather face kind of like, you know, put on something, <laughs> but, you know, there's no life behind it, you know, or they kind of get the vibe, but it's just like, why would you cast this person as that? And and Plummer just nails the everything about the sort of person who can hold the screen from his very opening scene. Uh, Al Pacino set up a... Um, interview for him with the sheik um and um 
and Mike Wallace throws this fit about where the chair is going to be, and all, all the, and there's this screaming match, and like Al just comes over to him and is like, "Do you need to warm up now? Are you ready to go?" He's like, "No, I've got my heart rate going," and then just sits down, and um, and yeah, and he has some great screaming moments, but also some great very quiet moments. And the emotional heart of the film is um, just a moment where there's an internal dissension and. Al's ranting on and Plummer just quietly interrupts him and says, I don't have your back. And Pacino says nothing and just walks out and just, and, and the confidence and gravitas that an actor has to carry to pull off those moments is Mm. so strong. And that's, um, and to, and, and also like, there's no sense of his character from the silent partner Mm. there at all. And, And, you know, it's just that kind of the, the, how, he could so fully embody all these different roles while still having a sort of plumber. Like he's not a fully chameleonic actor like some, but still um, has such a range that's overwhelming. Absolutely. And I mean, we have to say it's uh, sound of music as uh, was not, uh, even though ever, as I've seen so many yeah, tributes that specifically tribute, yeah. about sound of music, he hated the film. No, well, this is not true. Is it? Oh, so this is. So this was true, and so there. I found a tweet the other day from his that was taken from his memoir Ah. that he basically um, he got like in his later years he showed up to a friend's birthday party for their young ones, and they said, "Hey, we have a surprise." We're gonna play "Sound of Music," and they want you to stay so you can be in the audience. And he was horrified by the notion and, and, and felt guilty and so he sat there and eventually he like watched it and he was like won over and realized that after he spent like most of his career railing wow. about what a bad film it was that actually it's like this incredibly engaging charming film and that thanks to Robert Wise is constantly expertly handled without ever falling into treacle and beautifully shot and all these things. So he did have a later in life. Oh, that's turnaround. awesome. He, he did, did call it the sound of mucus yeah, for um, most <laughs> of the time, time of his in life. In that quote, he literally refers to it as S&M, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I think we can leave it there. Oh, well, I, I just wanted to, if, since oh. you've both done that, I know we've already done our three, but I have to point out one of my favourite Christopher Plummer performances, and it's General Chang in Star oh, Trek VI, yes. The Undiscovered Country, because okay, he enough. gets to eat the scenery and yet still comes off as an amazing actor. He's not going so over the top that you just go, that's just... Mm. He's drunk as hell and, and ranting. He's just... It's a Shakespearean he's performance. He's giving a Shakespearean performance under the latex of, you know, which could hamper a lot of people's performance. Because, mm. you know, so many actors, it's all about the facial expressions and things like that. He's mm. wearing makeup. He's wearing an eye patch. But he is so into the character. It'll be an element just, of that stage background yeah. as well, as I'm sure that you have to carry with so much with your carriage and other things yeah. and be able to yeah it's just a deliriously fun wonderful performance That's, yeah. I, I love yeah. that film I, did I haven't it. seen I, it I, since I, the cinema which I mean oh, would have been wow. 15 or something times. I don't know I did a media studies um, uh, on that particular film uh, I, I won a um, I was part, uh, one of 12 in the country to win the, the national award for um, for that media studies essay 
uh, on that movie. I had to see that film in order to write that essay at least about wow. five or six times. I can't see a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just I probably tremendous. saw that at least two, maybe twice or two or three times in yeah. a year one year because I was right. just I just yeah. love that film. It's one of my favorite Star Trek films. I just remember it's the whole like I remember liking it, but only because it was the even ones are good and the odd ones. Are <laughs> oh, I, you just know the rules. Yeah, well, no, but I, I I have a very physical memory of walking out of Star Trek Five with my friends, and we were just oh. like. Did he just have a fist fight with God and like a, a little bit of sand on what was supposed to be an enemy planet? Literally the only Star Trek movie I've only seen once because I don't I don't consider it bad. I consider it dull, and Star Trek's yeah. not supposed to be dull. Well, if you know the rules, you, so you well. don't feed a Star Trek movie after midnight. <laughs> uh... And I quite like Star Trek Three. Thanks. I would pour lots of water on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want more of it. Uh... <laughs> right. So oh, right. So yeah, let's. Oh, uh... Shall we do what? we actually came here <laughs> well the whole premises yeah, I'm gonna recap. as an aside somebody suggested to me that some some other podcasts uh, split between um, digression episodes and then you know core episodes and so that those Pussies, who prefer so, yeah, so those and those that prefer can listen to one or the other well, yeah. if anyone has a strong feeling about way. that you know, we can, well, we, well we can record it the same way and I could just be like come back next week and then we can you know, take it water if you want a 27 minute long episode because uh, we've got picked three movies that were terrible then we'll uh, do that but. digression is on my well, t-shirt not, well, who would pick terrible movies here. <laughs> so on to our first Have movie. Have you seen Jay? <laughs> yeah. no, Actually, so what the yeah. listener. Yes, let's rem- remind you. So our premise this week. Three movies that play Quentin Tarantino's QT Film Festival uh, and have a sibling relationship in the title while coming from three consecutive years in the 1970s. Ooh. And, sh- and shall we name all three of these right now? May as well. Since uh, people have seen the title in the uh, meta text <laughs> if they want. So um, we've got Switchblade Sisters, which ended QT1, uh, Dion Brothers, which played in QT5, and Brotherhood of Death, which played in... Oh, sorry, Dion Brothers was QT2, and Brotherhood of Death was QT5. And both Dion Brothers and Brotherhood of Death also played the best of in 2006. He did research. Yes, uh, there you go. Wait, wait till you see my Jack Hill essay. Oh, my God. Strapping <laughs> so, is going to be a long one. <laughs> so um, I, I suggested that we go in a chronological order, which would start us with Dion Brothers from 1974. Okay, well, that's that's me, the what underprepared. <laughs> so <laughs> Dion Brothers, it's all known as the gravy train uh, but uh, they changed the name from the gravy train to Dion Brothers because the test audience thought it was a movie about dog food because <laughs> gravy train was um, a, a very fam- popular American dog food I they still remember are. the commercials that had like a little wagon train going through the can and stuff Thank you, Doug, for giving us the visual. <laughs> so it uh, is directed by Jack Starrett. It's starring Stacey Keach, Margot Kidder, and Fre- Kidder, sorry, and Frederick Forrest, and it's written by Nom de Plume something something, but actually written by Terence Malick. And it was meant to be directed by Terence Malick at one stage, and then also by Martin Scorsese. Whoa! And then it wasn't. <laughs> right. And uh, then he did um, Alice. And Alice doesn't live here anymore. Alice doesn't no, live here anymore, which is a connection. Yes. Um. A ludicrously specific one. Uh, now, this film, it's the story of two brothers, both lovable losers, 
that leave um, one's more psychotic than the other, but uh, it's hard to pick. That leaves small town USA to go to New York to open a seafood Washington, restaurant. Washington DC. Uh, well, yes, or well, or Washington DC. <laughs> Thank you, correction police. <laughs> uh, it's a restaurant called the Blue Grotto. They join up with thieves to do an armored car robbery and become fugitives. And if I'm lying, I'm flying. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most quotable movie we've seen in eons. And the only reason it's not more quotable is because they come too fast and furious. I have to never actually. seen oh. Doug try to write so fast during a movie. Just line up. There were like line. three sentences in a row that Frederick Forrest said that I, you know, I was like, I, halfway yeah. through the first, he's saying the second, I'm like, that's amazing. And then, yeah. And I think we lost the third one because oh. we were laughing at the second I mean, one. right at the beginning where. Um, where Stacy Keach declares, "I'm fucking Kirk Douglas." <laughs> yes, is uh, and does the Kirk Douglas bare chest pose <laughs> is just amazing. Jack Starrett, uh, the director and actor, he's also appeared in this uh, in movie. Also um, known to probably our listener as Gabby Johnson from uh, Blazing Saddles. Reverend. <laughs> The Sheriff is, and I'll leave it there. Uh, has directed some of our favourites. Uh, Slaughter, Cleopatra Jones. Those nice. were both before Dion Brothers. After he did Race with the Devil. Uh, the unfinished film, The New Spartan, starring Oliver Reed and Tashiro Mifune. Wow. What? Just imagine a world where that film exists. And truly great, but I don't think either of you have seen it, Hollywood Man, starring William Smith and Don Stroud. I think we saw you showed us it recently, didn't you? Um, I showed it at my place. Oh, yes, no, yes, no, yes. I, you told me about it, and I immediately went and hunted it down and watched it myself. Okay, I yes. It's an amazing <laughs> film that, unfortunately, the YouTube uh, is a very cut version, but it is, right now, as far as I understand it, the only way to see it. So see it. It's it is just yeah. And you, Doug, I'm pointing at you. Pointing, pointing. You can see this. Pointing, pointing. You can hear <laughs> can't me see. waving my finger. That's not how audio recording works. <laughs> ah, I, I won't be held in by uh, your ways. <laughs> now it's this film is I I loved it every every second every laugh and every sadness. It's. It's a film about the blind leaving the equally gifted. Yeah. It's, um, it's don't be ableist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's just say uh, I've seen a lot of heist movies, but never one where the people in the heist were so successful yet so incompetent at the same time. Yeah. I've never it's... seen Stacy Keach play a role like this. It was so free. Or Frederick Forrest. Or Frederick Forrest. They're yeah. they're both playing dumb country brothers essentially. Um, but they're both having more fun than I've ever seen them <laughs> Yeah, the Terrence Malick thing is so fascinating. I mean, it's closest to Badlands, um, but either there was a lot of improvisation on this, which I wouldn't put past, Felt or like really Terrence good really just has a whole side of, like, regional specificity in his dialogue writing in the old days that, you know, is lost in the, why is there nature? <laughs> is there nature in man? Is God in nature? If so, is God in the toilet? Um, so, yeah, back before he did that stuff, he was kicking ass with the Dion brothers. Um, you know, 
I mean, you, you wouldn't go see the Tree of Life and hear anybody say, now that is a six-pack of sheep shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the oh, quote section a, of this on the Internet yeah. Movie Database must just be enormous. It's because... a blast and a half, this movie. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is... The true tragedy of this film is that no fuck has ever heard of it, apart from Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And, yeah. and David Gordon Green, I believe, has yeah, listed Yeah, I think it. they both own prints, but like pretty much it's like you either have to track down an obscure file, guilty, or um, get Quentin Tarantino or David Gordon Green to show you their print. And then talk and, all about it while you're watching it so you don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if David Gordon Green talks through his films. We'll give him the benefit of the <laughs> But it's just... It's a it's a hoot and a holler. It's it is it's, a it's a really fun ride, and I had heard nothing about it. Look, didn't bother looking anything up, and I thought I was going. And when I saw Stacey Keach on the title, I'm like, oh, okay, we have got something hard boiled coming up. Wrong, yeah, really wrong. It was great because it was the last movie of the three that we watched, so it was a great way to wind up our little experience of, yeah. of Quentin Tarantino's favorite, you know. Exploitation and, and 70s obscurities. And Margot Kidder's probably never looked more gorgeous than this film. It's just... It's interesting, because all three of these, you know, obviously are very, are things that have been curated by Tarantino, and yet they're all very distinct personalities as movies, and this one, I feel like, is by far the most authentically character-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and... In some ways, the less least "quote unquote" exploitationy, um, and it's more about just the weirdness of the individual characters. And even though the superstructure of it, I think you you pointed out, there's not a, there's some similarity to Reservoir Dogs. That yeah. might have been what you were referencing with yeah. the, the heist that the you heist know movie, yeah. the heist goes right, but everything else goes wrong. Goes wrong around. Um, but it, we yeah. actually get to see the heist here, which, as you say, is almost completely inept and yet somehow works and it happens so quickly i mean it's yeah. literally where the movie starts and within a blink of an eye it's boom we're heisting we've done the yeah. heist and the rest of the movie is just the consequences I well and designing the menu for the blue grotto uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. i'm still fascinated by this oh, whole yes. cheddar eel a la vida <laughs> <laughs> if you'd seen my face if i would have been in a video when they described that because i love Dining out when I can afford it. I love degustation menus. If someone put cheddar, describe that again for me. What was the cheddar n- eel a la vino? I think yeah. you said what you do is you take the eel, eel. you grate some cheese on <laughs> you, you, you it, and throw it in with white, white wine, wine and throw it in and the and oven. throw that sucker on the oven at three fifty. And <laughs> those just feel like it's... three ingredients that exist <laughs> that an AI has like come up with only to make a menu out of. of. One of my many stupid hobbies is looking at old menus on Reddit <laughs> from the 1920s onwards. There's a, 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 a subreddit. Stupid. And the 70s ones, that could potentially be a real dish because there was a lot of cheese, a lot of booze, and people could probably got drunk and went, what happens we put it all together with the seal? But there's no jelly mold in it. So yeah. <laughs> the, the look on Skeet's face oh. was as though someone had just put on the Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah, it's, it's, it that is, is the culinary equivalent of the Garbage Pail Kids movie. <laughs> I hope that is just something they came up with the movie and no one ever tried that. Although, that's on the internet now. Go for it. Find yourself an eel. Yeah. <laughs> I get the feeling that they were able to put 
pull off the things that they were, the Dion brothers, the, the, the things that they did, just through the force of their own personality and their lack of intelligence. They never had that thing in their brain that told them that they this couldn't or shouldn't idea. do this. <laughs> so they did, and they achieved so much until they didn't. Yes. Well, oddly enough, going back to my video gaming recently, my Grand Theft Auto character, I created a redneck juggalo who is potentially one of the worst gangsters to ever be on a Grand Theft Auto server. After watching this movie and seeing the younger of the Dion brothers, I now know what he sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> because that is pretty much their character. It's just a hoop and a holler and oops. <laughs> Did I, I enjoy a holler and oops. I enjoy stealing more than anything in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and the finale of this film, I mean, is... But I can't believe it hasn't been ripped off. I can't believe it hasn't been it's remade. It's nuts, and it's brilliantly nuts. And that's, <laughs> I mean, there's there's action beats in this actually that are quite. Um, I, I mean, the the photography of it is somewhat unremarkable. It's fine, but it's it's nothing that I am like, Oh my god! But the actual physics of what they're doing. I mean, there's two separate things that I reference. They're like. That's in the raid, the yeah, the yeah. Indonesian thing, and it's just yeah. like whoa. And yet the ending, I've I've never, it, I just cannot believe that it hasn't been ripped off yet. But I, I and suppose we're not saying that what it is. You better go watch it. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, because we may rip it off we in the movie, exactly. or, or Tarantino <laughs> might, because there's actually when we were researching this, yes, um, two thousand fourteen. Uh, no, four, I think actually. Oh, um, but it was when they had the big Sony hack. Uh, ah. the uh, all that cache of emails came out and there was an email from Amy Pascal back when she was at Sony saying I still want to do the Dion brothers to Quentin Tarantino so and so it's I like presumably that means that there was a discussion of him doing that or maybe she got the um, what are the brothers from the oh the Vega brothers Vega brothers so maybe she got that wrong and she meant the D- Vega brothers Vega and accidentally brothers, shut right? that but mm. you know I mean I could totally see like the Tarantino version. I think of it this was practically film. the Tarantino version as well. Yeah, because I mean, it was. I mean, yeah. we were looking at a lot of things that looked like it was seriously going to kill actors. And I mean, this is the seventies. We're talking practical effects. I mean, if it was remade now with CGI, you'd be like, oh yeah. But yeah. watching some of the stuff that happened, you're just fearing for Stacy Keach's life. <laughs> <laughs> no. And not to give anything away, but this film was made in the seventies. Take yeah. what from that <laughs> yeah. what you will. Uh, but it's it's a fucking amazing movie, yeah. and do whatever you can to see it. I mean, my um, one of the reasons that I was excited to try to track this one down was because uh, Tim Wong, who used to edit Lumiere Reader, recommended it. I'm like, anything that Quentin Tarantino and Tim Wong get down on, <laughs> I'm like, I, I there's got to be something there for it, you know, that appeals to almost anybody. And I feel like, yeah, you'd have to be a very specific person to not get any joy from this film yeah maybe we have to create our own blu-ray imprint to uh, to get the <laughs> to get this film made so if if there's anyone who wishes to do- donate it's <laughs> well if only quentin tarantino had opened his own um distribution wing of trying to restore old cult films and bringing them back to audiences which i guess brings us to switchblade sister so i'm gonna um start by talking about jack hill who directed switchblade sisters because jack hill's a guy who i've seen quite a few films by and i expect a lot of people listening have seen a lot of films by but i didn't really know anything about him 
Um, he was Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. <laughs> then he will yeah, begin. Yes, because there's quite an essay here. Um, but he's fa- it's actually really fascinating, I thought. He was born in L.A. in 1933 to a music teacher, Mildred, and a film worker, Roland, who was a set designer and art director for films like The Jazz Singer and Captain Blood. But not only that... He designed Sleeping Beauty's castle at Disneyland. Oh, wow. So that and, yeah, so pretty iconic thing. Um, But Jack Hill didn't instantly go into film. He followed his mother's footsteps into music. Uh, And he played in the symphony orchestra that scored, amongst other things, Dr. Zhivago, as well as arranging music for burlesque composers, which is how he met uh, Lenny Bruce, who will return to the story later. Um, He then went to UCLA Film School, um, and the same year as a guy named Francis Ford Coppola, um, as well as Stephen Broom, who uh, shot uh, Jack Hill's short film, and then would go on to shoot not just The Outsiders and Rumblefish for Coppola, but most of De Palma's 80s and 90s films, like you know The Untouchables, Mission to Mars, Ooh. Mission Impossible, and so on. Um, Broom also worked on sec- as second unit DOP on Apocalypse Now, and the ending of Apocalypse Now... Um, somebody has quoted Coppola as saying, we're basically ripping off Jack Hill's student film. Um, so Ooh. who's to say? I haven't tracked down Jack Hill's student film, so not me. <laughs> um, like Coppola, Hill fell in with Roger Corman while at UCLA, uh, and so Hill shot additional material for Battle Beyond the Sun, re-edited the German film The Sin Began with Ava into The Bellboy and the Playgirls. The Bellboy was Hill's contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, worked on The Terror, and when um, Coppola left Dementia 13 before it was done editing, he saw that to completion. And then with those exploitation bona fides secured, Hill stepped into the director's chair properly. And this run just blows my mind. So, you know, he debuted with Mondo Keyhole in 1966. And I don't, I, this isn't even a complete list, I don't think. But the next decade, Spider Baby, Pit Stop, The Big Doll House, The Big Birdcage, oh Coffee, Lord. Foxy Brown, The Swinging Cheerleaders. Which brings us to 1975, less than a decade after he's debuted, and Switchblade Sisters, starring Robbie Lee, who Hill describes as having the energy of a female James Cagney as Dabber da- Dagger Deb Leader Lace. Monica Gale plays the eye patch wearing Patch, mm-hmm. who um, Tarantino fans might have reason to suspect might be an influence <laughs> on Kill Bill. And uh, Joanne Nail plays Maggie, uh, the new girl in town, and would later turn up in another exploitation favorite, The Visitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, Kitty Bruce. Uh, we mentioned Lenny Bruce before. Uh, his daughter plays Donut. Oh, my <laughs> lord. <laughs> yeah. um, so as to the origins of the film, I'll let Jack Hill speak through my voice uh, for a moment. <laughs> It was made in the last years of the Nixon administration. Everything was looking rather bleak. Everything was going downhill, and it was kind of a projection of where it might end up. That's why it's got that empty, desolate look about it. I suppose that's what inspired the comment about it being like Samuel Beckett. This is part of a larger interview where somebody compared um, Switchblade Sisters to the work of Samuel Beckett, which is... (laughs) A bit of a stretch. <laughs> so, you know, um, I saw it more as sort of a female clockwork orange. It started out as an assignment to do a film about street gangs, which I didn't want to do because I knew almost nothing about them. And you really couldn't make a realistic gang movie. For drive-ins, you'd really need beautiful blondes and such. So I decided to make it this kind of whacked-out fantasy, really have everything overplayed or else it wouldn't work. You wouldn't know it from seeing this movie, but I've done films where people underplay. I thought it deserved a really operatic, preposterous mise-en-scene, but without the actors being aware of it. 
um, which explains a lot about the film, especially if you've seen a film like Pit Stop, which operates in mm-hmm. such a much more realistic milieu that you don't really recognize this as being the same director. Uh, the original title of the film was The Jezebels, which is one of the names of the, the Dagger Debs become. Uh, but the box office was poor, and distributors suggested it got him confused with the Betty Davis film Jezebel. Um, so they came up with Switchblade Sisters out of desperation. The title stuck, but the film was never a hit. It was his first box office flop. Um, coincidentally or not, Hill's directing career came to a screeching halt. He only directed one film after this, 1982 Sorceress, and that was under the pseudonym Brian Stewart, although his writing career included uh, films like The Bees and Death Ship. Um, for many years, it was distributed as a lesbian cult film on home video. Um, if you go to Trailers uh, from Hell, which is a site Joe Dante mm-hmm. runs, yep. where um, directors talk th- sort of talk through their trailers, there's one for him doing Switchblade Sisters, in addition to him talking about the voice actor he got for the trailer and so on. He concludes by saying, it's now a cult classic and I don't really know why, which is... I think a bit misleading because we Hill, know what Hill knows that Quentin Tarantino is the reason why. Um, Tarantino originally met Hill at an uh, AIP retrospective, which was Corman's production company, and got Hill to sign p- posters and stills and correctly identified Shakespeare's Othello as a major influence on the oh. film's dramaturgy. With um, dramaturgy, dramaturgy. Mm, anyway, um, <laughs> film dramatic. Sh- okay, um, and yeah, you can see Patch as the Iago character Very and uh, Lace as Othello, who, uh, um, which I guess full makes... of dramaturgy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, Switchblade Sisters was re-released as the maiden title on Tarantino's short-lived Miramax Vanity imprint, Rolling Thunder Pictures, in 1996, mm-hmm. and got the re- reappraisal it arguably deserved. Though not all critics remained unconvinced. Uh, not all. Some critics remained unconvinced, is how I should say. Uh, this is mostly because I wanted to quote some of Roger Ebert's 1996 review, uh-huh. which was one star. The problem with Switchblade is that no one on screen is any better than the talent behind the camera. The movie is badly acted, written, and directed, and while I was watching it, I realized that in some unexplained but happy way, the basic level of cinematic talent has improved in the past two days. This sentence blows my mind. Few new directors today could make a film this bad. Low budgets have nothing to do with it. Consider Robert Rodriguez, whose El Mariachi cost 8000 Matty Rich, straight out of Brooklyn, 24000 and Edward fucking Burns, the brothers McMullen, 28000 <laughs> Despite their budget, they are born filmmakers who know where to put a camera, how to write a script, how to cast and direct actors, and how to move things along. By contrast, Switchblade Sisters is a series of tableau in which stiff actors are grouped to awkwardly composed shots and say things like, freeze, greaseball. The only real reason to see Switchblade Sisters would be to condescend to it, to snicker at its badness. But there are degrees of bad, and this movie falls far below Pauline Kael's notion of great trash. There is also some amusement to be had from the costumes, the mile-wide shirt collars, leather vests, and plaid pants on the men, and the hot pants and thigh boots on the women. Of course, the writer of uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls knows these things. But such pleasures are small. Should you actually pay money to see this movie at a time when Welcome to the Dollhouse, The Rock, Nelly and Mansoor are known, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I Shot Andy Warhol are playing? I don't think so. Shame on you, Roger Ebert. Uh, I've, I've got one of his books, of his one, one and a half star reviews, and he can be 
brutal. Yes, he Quite can. Quite often when it's deserved. Yeah. But. I, I'm almost done here. <laughs> Nevertheless, Switchblade Sisters continues to resonate to this day. Obviously, is it inspiration for Kill Bill and most recently is the inspiration for April Wolf's podcast of the same name. Uh, Rolling Thunder is an imprint faded out after releasing Detroit 9000, The Mighty Peking Man, and some uh, more contemporaneous releases like Sonatine, Chunking Express, and Hardcore Logo, but never really took off into a long-term enterprise. Um, I'll leave the final word to Jack Hill, who concluded a 2004 interview thusly. God lives within you, as you. Therefore, honor yourself, worship yourself. See, this is why I got you to do Jack Hill. You sent me a message saying, do you want to do this film or this film? And I, and I left you with Jack Hill, and you were surprised because you know that I'm the kind of person that watches... A I've, lot of Jack Hill films. He's done 18 directorial efforts, including, they say he's uncredited on The Terror, in, uh, mm. which was more Roger Corman. Yeah, yeah. I've seen 10 of them. Right. And yeah. I've seen many more of the ones he's written. Yeah. But I wanted someone who could do the research <laughs> and to do it justice. Because... Yeah. I love the movies of Jack Hill. I mean, just in one within one what year, an Coffee Brown run. and Coffee and Foxy Brown back yeah. to back. Oh, they're just tremendous! And if there's anyone who has ever been over my house for more than you know six months, they will have seen a, a Pam Rear movie at some stage. Mm-hmm. So there is there's just this huge run of some of the best 1970s exploitation films. Mm. Uh, Tarantino described it as the Howard Hawks of exploitation. Yeah. That, uh, one quote. Um, so, are you with Tarantino or are you with Roger Ebert? Tarantino. Discuss. <laughs> I'd say, I am no offended. <laughs> that question is even asked. Of course it's Roger I'm just Tarantino. trying to get you all the talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you just have a little lie down for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I can take a wee nap after that one. <laughs> oh, well, no. Is, QT is, all the way on yeah, that one. This is it's, not the first time we've seen this movie. It's a Yeah, we did it at... Um, I played it at the birthday marathon, birthday marathon um, yes. some years back. And it, was, it absolutely killed, uh, and as they do. And I mean, even my terrible memory, I remember that was second to last film and was one of the highlights of the night because yeah. it's just a movie where, yes, the acting is, shall we say, a little broad. The budget is obviously not that big and it doesn't really fit into any reality. It's not quite Pokemon insanity reality, but the reality of this world does not fit in our world. This is but supposed to be a high school movie and it's... the level of artillery that these high schools <laughs> have ah. is uncompared by you know anything this side of Battle Royale, I think. It's, it's and the high amazing. school is ruled by these ga- various gangs. One of whom is simultaneously running for office while he yes. is a it's student. It's and, uh, and yeah. yeah, also supplying food to the homeless. And, and drugs to the homeless at the same yes. time. He's yes. not a good person. No, he's not. I mean, But his yeah. name is Krabs. It's, so you, it, you do, Krabs you by name, Krabs by reputation. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about this is, and I said it to Dawn as I'm sitting here watching, I love a good female empowerment film because... Yeah this for all the exploitation elements every guy in it is a pussy an absolute pussy a douche bastard and the female characters are much stronger the our leading man for a while for quite some time is just he's like someone i looked at him for a start going why does his face look familiar he looked like someone started to make a model of matt Dillon 
and got bored halfway through. <laughs> Lost some of the clay. Are we talking about Rapey McRapey We're pants talking here? Rapey McRapey yes. pants there, Dom. Because it's, worth, it's worth noting Jack Hill got a lot of, and continues to get, as time goes on, even more slack for how that um, stick, for how that rape plot plays yeah. out. Yes. He's, and, he's, it's, and, and he's his explanation is like, well, I stole it from Ayn Rand because that's basically what happens in the Fountainhead is that the guy rapes her and then she, she like falls, falls for him. For him. And, and, it was a, and it was a real plot element used in a lot of exploitation films. And I don't like it as a plot element. Yeah. No. But it's, oddly enough, in this one, it's handled with much more taste than a lot of ones I've seen. And it's it's not like the rape from I Spit on Your Grave that just goes on and on. It's, it's yeah. there... You, it's showing that this guy is a complete bastard. We knew that for a start. We didn't. In this need case, to see she it. never really falls for him either. No, she, she at one stage says that she, that she's into him, but she, yeah. you can tell she really isn't. And he, I, he's the kind of guy you couldn't see anyone really falling for unless they were a, a fairly damaged person, which is yeah. what unfortunately our main character is. And the and the broad acting. It is broad, but yeah. it works. <laughs> and the way that the um, our angry, violent uh, protagonists, Lace, uh, Lace Lee. especially, Lee. she's uh, just a force of nature. She looks about fourteen. Uh, she yeah. never she's... quite opens her mouth to say. Basically, basically, imagine if Annie was like had to live on the streets for two years and wanted to stab you. <laughs> it's a hard work, <laughs> in your gut. <laughs> we're, we're minutes into it. I'm just like, this is the weird. Joni loves Chachi. She looks like Erin Moran. She's just she's she tiny, does, and she's running this whole gang. And you're going, how does this even happen? And after ten minutes, you go, I can see how this happened because otherwise, some some bitch is getting stabbed. I'm sorry. She's a pure force of nature, and it's uh, she didn't do much, did she? No, well, actually, hilariously, if you look, she voiced Rainbow Bright. She voiced a character in Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealers, and then the Rainbow Bright TV series huh. for quite some time after that. And she was in a, a few of these kind of high school, like kind of bad girl roles right, yeah, around that time. Not, I think so. some of them might have been TV movies. Yeah, not as not as many as some of the others. But yeah, if you look at it, Bobby's World, The Smurfs, and Rainbow Bright was in her future. Oh my! And it's yeah. she had that kind of voice for it. But uh, yeah, she's. She is an incredibly memorable character in it. And oh, it's, gosh, you, yes. So I haven't seen this film for, like, 25 years. Um, and weirdly, I think it's one of the very first exploitation films I'd seen. And I actually oh, almost wow. forgot about it until this. Because um, I think after Pulp Fiction came out, before I think possibly before even uh, Tarantino retroed Switchblade Sisters, a theater in Houston um, did a series of, like, Tarantino influenced things and they did a double feature of Spider Baby and Switchblade Sisters and so a friend dragged me along to this with when I was still hip deep in like the only good films are good films you know and <laughs> and, um, and, and, and Spider Baby was first and I definitely like I think because it was black and white and a bit more expressionist and kind of striking I, I took to that film more and, and Switchblade Sisters I mean there a point um during it, I was I mentioned I wrote down the cross and the switchblade, which is a mm. you know sort of a high, another like kind of seventies teens gone wrong gang kind of film. And there, watch there's, out for Eric Estrada. <laughs> there, and there's elements of this that kind of at times feel like they're a bit rote kids gone wrong 
thing, but then it, then it just goes into these jaw dropping areas, oh, yeah. of, you know, where it's uh, which are sometimes a bit absurd. Like I'm not sure that Jack Hell fully understood how walls work. No, no, no. <laughs> if, if you get trapped in a room with a with a rapey man, you kick him in the nuts and you punch your way through a wall. I mean, it, maybe it wasn't particularly well I mean, built wall. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's not quite the story of Ricky, you know. It's not like <laughs> somehow I believed it at the time, though. Yeah. It's, uh, it's easy to poo poo it now, but it's uh, but when you're apparent. watching it. It's probably Nixon's fault. It's probably I, I think that's the other thing about all of these films. They, you know, um, there is just definitely like this. Everything's fucked in society. Yeah. There's you know the Dion brothers at the TV at the start. There's a bit that's mm. kind of talking about that, and they also like always have the White House in the background to remind yes. us. And and there's references to Nixon in this as well. And and that you know politics really isn't making a difference, and it's. Yeah, it, it's really amazing how the politics are so deeply and naturally intertwined. Yeah, it's it, oh, it's just a blast that film. It's uh, and and actually the the politics does come uh, quite to the fore when we um, is it Maggie goes back and sees her old pals her friend Muff. Muff, Muff yes. yes, who's yes. the the Maoist, the, the uh, Black, Black Panthers, Black Panthers yeah. yes. uh, and yeah, and it's there's there's definitely a lot of lot of very seventies counterculture coming through there, yeah. but also of course that just is a good way for Jack Hill to lead into basically what's a Mad Max shootout at the oh end. Oh my a, god, yeah. that tr- I'm a Mad <laughs> Max slum road, <laughs> yeah. an armored truck, which apparently nearly the actress uh, who played Muff when she was standing on top. Firing their machine gun. Oh no! Gun. Apparently, fell. well, no. Then they drove into the wall. You don't actually see it because it's cut from the the the, the actual yeah. print. But when they drove towards the the wall for the yeah. stunt, she said they didn't have a stunt quarter. They just had a stunt man, not a stunt coordinator. Oh no! And she wasn't really harnessed or rigged, so they actually did drive into a wall. And she thought she'd broken her ribs, oh, so she said it sent her to the emergency room. But um, yeah, she. I don't know if she wanted to do any, any more stunts after that. She said it was a fairly small part. She was really yeah. happy to. That she did it when they bought all the actresses back later on for a, a screening. Oh, neat! That so would have been they, amazing. Like if yeah. you think of like um, cast and crew screenings that you'd love to be at, I bet the Switchblade <laughs> Sisters one would be hella fun. Yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, there's there's some really there's some actually some quite decent acting there for exploitation. I've seen a lot worse, and then there's some, Ma- some Maggie, um, Maggie's Barbara Joanna Nail of, yeah. of the Visitor. It's amazing. It's what this was nineteen seventy five. And then in 79, she played someone who would have been at least 15 years older yeah, in the... I did not recognize her. In the movie. Um, in the movie of The Visitor with uh, the psychotic... Uh, is it Tracy Collins? No, what's the... Uh, she's Barbara Collins and her little girl... Her little is... girl, yes. Oh, my God. Mm. Uh, if Anyone who hasn't seen The Visitor... Um, oh. Amazing. Track it down. Not and if you're like, this is about refugees and like has Richard Jenkins, why are they recommending it? You're watching the wrong movie. <laughs> wrong <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> this is was, the nineteen eighty one with John Cassavetes and Glenn Ford yes. and yeah. um and I Instagrammed the Castlist. Yeah, and you get to like like you, you go through all these names, and you get to number nine, and it's like Franco Nero, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and, that, and Lance yeah. Henriksen's in there. Yeah. Everyone's in it. It's Mal Ferrer, yeah, John Huston. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a, a favorite from us for a long, long time. Patron Saint Winters <laughs> yeah. and one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Oh, and Except Sam Peckinpah. Well, getting back to here, the soundtrack, and this is definitely the highlight of the oh. three films because mm. there's some there's some funk music in our third film coming up. But get this off one, your high horse. Got to get yeah, off my yeah. horse there. But this one blows it out the water. I mean, mm. it, and mm. it's just the the end credits when the, it's bang, you hit that end credits and that funk music comes up. Yeah. That's that's walking out of the Times Square uh, cinema, mm. with, you know, and yeah. you know avoiding the, the crack dealers on the way out. Right. <laughs> I try to. Yeah, exactly. That's it. If I ever go to get a time machine and a stab proof vest, I've said it before. I'm going back to Times Square to watch something <laughs> right. like that. But <laughs> time machine and a stab. Well, you don't go to 1970s. The man who has everything. You don't go to 1970s New York without a stab proof vest. Seriously, yeah, yeah, it seems there. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a fun film. It's it's one that. You can watch repeated times, and as I say, the the only downspot for me is that the actor who played Dom, even he, even his glances were in a monotone. Mm. <laughs> and every time he talks, it's kind of like he's supposed to be the one we we hate because of the rape scene, but he's just he's a nothing. He's so, the most middle of the road. Yeah. Whereas uh, everyone else plays. I mean, our and the other side of the the coin, and I forget the name of our our. Uh, I love Principal Weasel was one of the characters. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Don Stroud. Don Stroud is Hook. But uh, yeah. I'm thinking of uh, Crabs, of course. That's gone out of my head. It's just, yeah. to me, I'm looking at him going, is he some kind of lost Howard mm. family? Uh, you know, he's, he looks kind of like Ron Howard's, you know, uh, had a... Also, like, they never really cousin. talk about the swastikon, his medallion, because there's this big reveal of it, and then it's just kind of like... <laughs> it's it's just a, it's just a Yeah, there's a whole subplot involving little, his medallion and stealing it. And, and, oh, and, and not Don Stroud, but Don Stark, who a uh, listener okay. may know um, from the uh, That 70 Show as the, uh, the neighbour. To the, uh, to the lead, May. They may. <laughs> well, it's the listener may. Right, let's, right. let's not let's not go plural. We don't know. <laughs> if, if You've implied gonna... two already in this case. <laughs> if we're going to recommend a uh, youth gone wild film, I would recommend um, if you enjoy Switchblade Sisters. Malibu High is. Malibu High is pretty. It's crazy it. pants. It's. And just in terms like of how far hats. it how far it wants it wishes to go, it the way it sits. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It's <laughs> but it sits up in Malibu. Hi, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, spoilers! Wow. Well, um, but it's it's just yes. It uh, it it takes a, a premise of a. Uh, a young student wanting to get ahead and pushes it and pushes it and pushes it as far as it possibly can go. And it's, yeah, it's got the crazy pants. It's uh, well worth a watch. And, and, I if, know you, and if you want to, and if you want to, a, a youth gone wild one that pushes it in the other extreme, then Massacre at Central High from Oh, yes, I believe, to agree with which that. Which is the kind of weird universe where apparently adults just don't exist because nothing has consequences. And it is a a full on revenge flick that just gets crazier and crazier. And, and it's, it's a revenge, a, a risk spoiler, but it's not really where the uh, the revenger f- finds the uh, takes revenge on the main person that persecutes them first, and then, which never right, happens. Yeah. and then just starts uh, killing of people ghost, almost I at random. I, 
Ah. Sadie McGuffin. Right. I mean, not, it's not a high school film. No, but, no, uh, but I, I, I can't actually. I can't remember exactly, but I just remember it's a revenge film that starts with the main people, and by the end, they're taking revenge on people that are entirely exactly. unrelated. This is kind of kind out very much lines. the same. Where you've got characters who it's were quite really... sympathetic and yet somehow become involved in the revenge. So yeah, yeah so that's that's worth a watch. As that's, well. Yeah, and have you got a, um, a Youth Gone Wild suggestion? Sorry, I just sort of pulled that one. Uh, no. <laughs> He's ruining the format. I probably will at some point. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Um, if. Oh. Oh, the Anderson's. Uh, I've been meaning to get, get onto that one. Yeah, that, that's good television. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's... Um, yeah, there's probably others, but that's the first one that comes to mind. So Excellent. Um, Good suggestion. Another high school film that I really love that's not as explicitly about that, but is kind of in the kids aren't all right section of the video store, so to speak, is After School, which is the first uh, film by Antonio Campos, who most recently did The Devil All the Time on Netflix. Ah. And um, yeah, and it starts with a... Um, kid finding a um, young girl at the school who's committed suicide who is in the process of dying from overdosing and um, rather than doing anything to save her he's like taking pictures of her and stuff and it's it's really like proto Hanukkah um, bleakness but um, really compelling yeah wow down a man well that's okay yeah yeah because we'll always have rock and roll high school for high school which is coming to the Hollywood yes yes Yes. 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 that one I've We've got that in multiple formats. Oh, and Over the Edge. Formats. Why would I not say Over the Edge? Over the Edge. Ah, uh, the Matt Dillon. Yeah, isn't that... A, am I mixing up? No, that's no, a, I think that's high school. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. yeah. Anyway. So yeah, uh, right. he couldn't come up with one. He gave he us came up three. With multiple. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> it took moments. Now, anyway, we're, we're not we going to segue. We're just going to go into Let's the not segue one. because we're moving on to 1976's Brotherhood of Death, directed Ooh. by Bill Barry. Uh, the drummer from R.E.M.? <laughs> apparently not. Uh, and Get I, off your high horse. High horse. That is the opening song, and that's probably for me at the start the high point for quite some time in this film. I'm going to be interested to hear what you think of this film because I decided I was going to do this film because I wanted to try and find out more about it because mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino has a huge movie nerd on for this movie, and I don't uh, after watching it. And I did my research, and I could not find much i couldn't find jack shit on this it's what i can find out about is it was really the result of the producer ronald k goldman wanting to make a low budget black exploitation film but he'd seen black exploitation films and this was we're getting out of the black exploitation era here this was probably two years after the it peaked 73 74 76 so we're on the downslide for, yeah. for black exploitation his thought thought it was most of the acting in Blaxploitation isn't very good, so why do I need to pay marquee actors, which are going to cost me more? So we got some amateur actors. He got a, one of the actors as a was a teen model at the time, and he used his connections to the Washington racist names football team. Uh, now, now officially known as the Washington football team. Oh, that's why you're saying the connection. The connection, yes. yes. There was a connection. The Washington Redskins football team at the time. Which features in the Dion Brothers indirectly. Indirectly. We saw some some Washington uh, memorabilia on the walls in that film. But um, he basically had connections to it, so he got some of the players as actors. So there was at least three of them. Yeah. And I was quite excited about this because in my head I had it confused with a different movie. I was thinking of the Black Six, 
And I thought this possibly was just another title for it. Black Six is an Al Adamson movie. Oh. Uh, which, it's a completely different movie, because that, that is about a group of African-American Vietnam veterans that come back from Vietnam, face racism and violence, and everything explodes into revenge and violence. This is a movie about exactly the same thing. <laughs> yes. But it different. doesn't involve... The, the Black Six actually is more of a, a, a biker flick when I look at it. Uh, using his... Uh, his, his uh, NFL players, he was able to make this movie for about two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, made a million dollars on it, and after that, it apparently just disappeared into obscurity, because as I say, it was the tail end of black exploitation. That's pretty much where my trail on it disappears until Quentin Tarantino pulled it out of the archives, played it, played it again at his best of, and is uh, quite a big fan of it, and I am. Quite flummox as to why, because for me, I've seen a lot of black exploitation, and this the first half of this is flat. It is a really, it's just chugs along. Stuff happens. The plot is kind of there, but it never really for me gets into gear. Basically, the African American guys come back from Vietnam into the deep south, and oh, actually, I think it's actually Washington State. I thought it was the Deep South. There is a picture of... No, it is the Deep South. There's a picture of North Carolina of a billboard, but that was actually a real billboard, a KKK billboard. Right, yeah. But apparently it was... It was uh, Smithville, set in, yeah. Yeah, Smithville, which wasn't torn down until 1977. Well yeah. done, Smithville. But uh, they, they return, and the KKK immediately starts doing what they do. And at the end, it explodes into, you know, some decent... Revenge violence at the end, but for me, this movie just took so long to do mm. anything that I was sitting there. And it's, I will point out, 77 minutes long, and after 30 minutes, I felt like I'd been there for a week. Wow. I was very, very disappointed with this film. Wow. So, Quentin Tarantino and I would have quite a discussion, I think, about this one, and he would win because he's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and I <laughs> because even you couldn't talk for as long as he could. <laughs> it's the second time I've seen it, and um, I loved watching it again. I loved it the first time. I played it at my place with uh, a bunch of our uh, regulars who all enjoyed it. It uh, it takes a little bit of time to get into, but that's also because of the budget constraints. The, it's also because when they first go to Vietnam, it look, kind of looks like they're wearing somebody's pajamas. Backyard. Yeah, it's, it's, Someone's it's, backyard it's and Vietnam, they're wearing pajamas yeah. with some uh, yeah. uh, some camo drawn yeah. on. And, and, and they don't have anything for and uniforms for the enemy. So no, it's, it's just like just, a mix of like random like button-down shirts yeah. and shirtless. And, and it yeah. definitely, when I was watching it the first time, it, it was easy to laugh at and judge the film because of those scenes. Mm. But then I started to realise that that was a slightly more high-minded film, and it was actually really well. Um, I enjoyed the acting. I thought it was a, a a good story that you could get angry at the villains, and uh, I yeah, I I enjoyed it the first time. I really enjoyed it the second time. I found there, I mean, there was some decent acting from the actual actors, and then there was some some guys that were probably pretty good football players at the time, but. Yeah. It's for me, as I say, I just could not get invested in what was happening there because it was, you know, I don't need a movie to tell me to be angry at the KKK because the KKK no. are yeah, yeah. a bunch no, of no, that's fine. won't say, but it's it. But for you, it yeah. just wasn't compelling. And once again, we had the exploitation elements. We had the rape scene that had was drawn out, much more drawn out scene, 
really exploitative scene. You know, let's mm-hmm. have her run through. You know, the young woman yeah. run through the the bush and. And there's topless. literally a moment where it like kind of cuts to the bush swing. You're like, oh, they're yeah. going to handle this tastefully, yeah. and then yeah. they cut to the top, top <laughs> down. Like, no, or no. not? It, yeah, they. Well, really... What did you think? Um, I mean, not that it's difficult, but I think I'm somewhere in the middle of you two. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm um, usually the more positive person. I um, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't find it laughably bad, um, and I. I think I enjoyed it. I enjoyed more of like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm not sure where this is going, but this is making some choices that are interesting to me. So I mean, and also it's like at very in Vietnam they're showing all these traps, and it's like, oh yeah, well that's gonna come back. You know this. You know these. You know wooden spikes. Yeah. Fall, you know Chekhov's or, or trap, nail, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> che- Chekhov's nail trap and all that. Um, and then also just that there were a couple choices. You know that it suddenly it's like. Okay, we're going to get our revenge by signing people up to vote, and I'm like, that's that's interesting. Oh, that's was, not what I. An old segue. You know, and, but it, but it is kind of like okay, well, there's other things on this film's mind than just like you know now who else can we, you know, and that shoot. definitely helped win and, me over. Was was it had a slightly more high minded approach yeah. to things, and also that the um, the sheriff character as well. Yes, um, so that it wasn't just like. As is often the case in these films, it's like you have the black people and you have the racist whites, and that's the only two things. And you have this sheriff uh, who probably is a little bit racist, but is mostly just really exasperated with the Ku Klux Klan for being assholes. And it's just like, can you just stop doing this shit? And just like, (laughs) I just care about this town being peaceful and you guys keep screwing it up. I literally had a note. Because oh, I took down some notes in my usual style where I just write weird things to remind myself of what it is. It simply reads, Sheriff only slightly racist Jim. Uh, but that was just under Leroy, so racist he'd pick at Black Beauty. So they, there was some broad stereotyping of just how racist people are. And oh, I mean, there's definitely, we've seen it on the news in the last four years. There are some people in America still which are as almost as cartoonishly what, what are you racist. talking about nothing nothing no, you don't you just, just, just America's just... perfect I won't hear anything <laughs> um, as an aside I thought the, so I don't know if it's the print that we saw or if it was like this in the original but the Cyclops character who's the leader of the um, KKK wears a pink robe and I'm like mm. that's weird and so I looked up and there is um, uh, that is an actual functional role within the KKK but they usually wear a red robe so I'm still not 100% sure if that's... They just couldn't afford, couldn't red. afford red. Well, no, I doubt they couldn't afford it. Like, like red, it's not that difficult to make something red. I was just like, are they doing that to take the piss? Are they doing that because... Is that something about the way it's photographed that it hasn't worked? Is it something that got miscommunicated? I didn't know. But I thought that was quite quite maybe a subtle, funny thing. Um, it felt like there was yeah. a... There was a, a scene that might have been the inspiration for the eye hole scene in um, Django Unchained. Unchained. Yeah, yeah, you saw it too. And there was also, um, I think there was somebody talking on the TV at the beginning who had a. Um, oh, that's Dion Brothers. Oh, is that Dion yeah, Brothers, Brothers that has the guy with the um, looked, bow tie that looks like Don Johnson? Looks like Don Johnson. Johnson. So oh, there was okay. there was many who went. I mean, yeah. you'd mentioned about the eye patch and yes. switchblade sisters which absolutely i wasn't actually thinking kill bill because to me that was it felt like it they'd taken it from thriller or cruel, or cruel picture all oh, right they, they call it one eye depending on your, your yeah. print of it and it but of course i'm pretty sure mm. that also 
yeah. influence because I mean, it's Quentin Tarantino is not shy about his influences. Not, so no, there was a, his a whole number of things. Is about his yeah. Exactly. He 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 takes the bits of the movies he likes yeah. and he makes a movie loaf, and it's normally a pretty good movie loaf. Absolutely. I think I think the thing that probably falls short for me on Brotherhood of Dead relative, or not Brotherhood of Dead, Brotherhood right. of Death, Death relative to the other ones is that the characters don't feel that very strongly individuated to me. And that's, mm. um, I mean, with Switchblade Sisters, you know, the main character is really all pop. And similarly with the Dion brothers, you know, it's like they're so indelibly drawn. And like, These even by the, the end of Brother the drunk Hood, one, the, uh, the not as drunk as the other one, and the priest. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's fair. It's... Um, yeah, and there's, but there's you, some very disposable characters that, that, that they get bored We're and right gets... and you're wrong. Don't uh, <laughs> um, I'm just going to check the internet. No, no, apparently I'm, I'm right. So. Oh, And I mean, you, you look at some of the, the, the careers of these, the people that were in there actually in this film, and most yeah. of them are absolute dead ends. They're, they're one movie roles. Yeah. Mm. Oddly enough, the longest career that someone got out of this was our sheriff, was Brian Clark. He became a fairly, looked like a fairly dependable character actor. He was in things like All the President's Men, of all oh, things, wow. as an arguing attorney. He's, he's played a lot of smaller bit parts, but of course, as we always know, there's no small parts, only small actors, you know, right. tiny actors. Mm. Danny DeVito, for instance, is a tiny actor with a big... Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, he's he's did a huge amount of TV. I mean, you know, sure, he had to appear in, um, you know, Charles in Charge, but he's, he's got to do a ton of different things. So, you know, I'm glad some people got careers out of this. But there's a lot of <laughs> oh hell, make this of you. It just as as a fan of black exploitation, it's just it's not even in my top twenty. It's it's right. well down. It's funny because I didn't think of it as a black exploitation no, film, and, and I think I. that would have been if I had come into it expecting a Truck Turner or a Foxy Brown or something like that. As opposed, I was thinking of more movies like um, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's sort of has a bit of the smell of something like Poor Pretty Eddie mm. in it. Um, yes, not it not as hot, hot house, but, but that, kind um, of... that kind of regional drive, or Macon mm. County line, not that that's um, on racial barriers, but a kind of similar, like, again, small town yeah. um, yeah. drama of, like, one group and another group <coughs> and things are kind of going wrong, as opposed to one man against the sister, more woman in the case of Coffee or Foxy Brown or any other <laughs> Pam Greer role, who's going to um, bring it down, and that's kind of what I think of as the black exploitation template. Although, are there kind of team black exploitation films that I'm not? Yeah, thinking? I mean, things oh, I like think um, Super Bucktown, for instance. Okay, so, you know, which Bucktown I, I think is a great little. Um, I don't it's, think it's I've a seen list. That. No, I don't think you have actually. It's it's a it's a lesser one of them, but it's still it's a it's a great little ensemble piece. You get you get some good ones around. As I say, if I want to see something in a small town where somebody gets revenge, I'll go and watch Shiny Firecloud again because mm. you know going going right. right back to what we talked about at the start because but, it, but that was. A movie where you did get all this this harassment and mm. and it, it took a long time before the the revenging started, but it was more much more compelling. Out of in, out of interest, and yet clearly the film just wasn't compelling for you. But do you think that um, your expectation was that it was an exploitation? It was a black exploitation movie, which I didn't have, and clearly Doug didn't. Either. Possibly, I mean, you know, having sort of you know done that little bit of research to go, okay, he was looking at black exploitation, he was going to make his own, but. I don't know. For me, it's if he was aiming for a black exploitation, he got something entirely different because yeah. he, I don't think he had no, the feeling I, for what. No, I never. I'd... I mean, Al Adamson was whiter than the driven snow, but he knew how to make a black exploitation movie mm. that mm. still had a lot of flaws, but was still incredibly entertaining. Mm. 
and some of those those black exploitation films, which were getting dunked on by the critics at the time, yeah. were really just amazing stepping stones for some great actors who never would have got these leading mm. roles. And this one, for me, it just felt like everybody was just there as like the, the the NFL players were there just as novelties. They were there just to get money because they they bring in one guy and he's one of the NFL players. They bring him in for one scene and he's dead in the next scene. And it's kind of like, well, thanks for your three days worth of work, and that's made that producer an awful lot of money, and you probably got paid, you know, five grand if you're lucky. So, it, it's as I say, it's every film is different, and we always yeah, have different opinions. And I was, I was hoping for more. So, um, yeah. Oh well, two that's out of three ain't bad. You can't be right all the time. No, mm. no, no, you're wrong about <laughs> that. <laughs> this is the last of the ludicrously. All oh, right, and uh, so once again, we have our final episode. <laughs> Um, so see we will, um, yeah, we'll see you, we'll see you <laughs> again next month. Review, we'll have our next subscribe, final month. Subscribe, yes, um, and yes, share share with people and uh, get in touch if there's anything you'd like. Yeah, to uh, I mean, we different about the show or whatever. We're kind of out uh, there in space doing this, and, and bear we don't in mind, know who's listening. we we talk uh, we touch on so many films that we don't actually talk about. So if there's anything you've heard <laughs> that you're actually interested in, uh, let us know, and we send can us, talk send about us a tweet, it more later. Send us a comment. We could yeah. do it as an extra or a, exactly. a bonus or something. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't had enough <laughs> somehow, poor fools. Uh, well, my gin and tonic is empty so I think it is time and for us yeah, to finish and yes so we'll co- toast our empty glasses and my cup of tea cheers 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 thank you much bye bye bye